This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves. Just dial in toll-free, 800-259-9231 with a still-sick Ian with you. And Guard. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give you the features on the site for free. Again, that is freetalklive.com. We're going to jump right into your phone calls. That's the point of the program. And then some news out of the uh, Indiana area regarding the sovereign citizen movement that is popping up in Indiana. Also, in some jails across the country, uh, the sovereign citizen movement will will take a closer look at what they're doing and how they're getting it wrong here in a little bit. But first, we go to Doug. They've got to be doing something right, too, right? Yeah, I think so. Doug in Minnesota is first up on the amp line. Hello, Doug. Hey, guys. What's on your mind? Hey, a few days ago, you were talking about uh, the red light cameras. Yeah. Yes, sir. And, uh, yeah, I've got, I was in Costa Mesa, California. I was active in city politics, ran for office, was appointed to a city commission. They trotted out a company that's going to put in red light cameras at three of the busiest intersections. So they did some studies and take the three busiest intersections. Well, bottom line, it passed. I got there and said, you should not do this. And um, right after me, a lady got up, started crying, and told the story about her brother who had died in a, in a red light accident. And, um, you know, I figured, oh, this, must, oh, this is terrible. The, the council members are being swayed. She must have, her brother must have died at one of these three intersections. Oh, no, it wasn't one of the three intersections at all. In fact, it wasn't the same city where her brother had died. In fact... Her brother died because he got hit by a drunk driver where a red light camera wouldn't have stopped him in the first place. Mm. But the private company that was pushing this, oh. they would get 50% of ticket revenues um, to, to do this this and do this with the Costa Mesa, trotted out a sob story, classic crying woman who no one could say, oh, I'm so sorry, and yes, and I couldn't believe it. So you're saying that the company actually brought this woman in? That's what I think. She was either an actress or maybe it really happened, but it was irrelevant to the fact, to the red lights they were putting up. Well, In fact, I wrote an article for our local city pages there, and um, they published it. It was pretty cool. Found out that these three busiest intersections in five years, how many deaths happened at these busiest intersections? Well, Zero. <laughs> how many Man. serious injuries happened at these three intersections? Three. Well, you know, it might sound abstract, but I have to say, when you're talking about relevancy, one of the things that that it that free market economics teaches you is that there's no way that government can assure anyone that any conversation about a policy change or an application of people's tax money is actually relevant to anything. The only way that you know it's relevant is if people are willing to spend their own money on it. So when you've got a government-run government run road system and you've got a light system that they think that if they apply some sort of a camera, uh, a camera network to it will get more people to stop and you'll have safer roads and so on, uh, you, you have no feedback that's really appropriate because you don't have any addressability. No one is willingly giving up his money for this thing. You just don't know. So it's very interesting that you almost have two levels of abstraction here. You have the abstraction where this woman, what, what she's saying, it's not relevant to the conversation at hand, but the conversation at hand isn't really relevant to real life either because it's it's operating not under real life situations but under political uh, political situations, you know? 
corporate welfare situations, too, where this yeah. company was going to get 50%. Now, now, there was some feedback. I went up to talk to one of the council members, brand new lady who was going to be appointed to a judgeship eventually. She was a young person. Clinton appointed her to a judgeship. Anyway, I went up there and said, hey, let me ask you something. If these, if these red light cameras do not reduce any ticket or do not reduce accident, would you vote to get rid of it? She said, yes, I would. Well, three months later, she was out of office because she's moved on to a higher office. Maybe they have been forgotten and, you know, that once it's in place, you can't get rid of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and isn't yeah. it amazing that on a small level you've got this this uh, business feedback loop where they're getting a bunch of money, they have an incentive to bring people in. You know, the uh, public choice economists wrote about this on a federal level many many years ago. People like James Buchanan talking about how it, the time that you spend to go down there to try to stop this thing, uh, it's it's really actually not even in your best interest. Because you're taking time out of your day, and, and right. to, you apply that to the federal level, and it's even worse. But for the company that's making a bunch of money, the concentrated special interest that gets the payoff, the benefit from this new government policy, whether it's your lights or a tariff against uh, foreign sugar cane or a tariff against Japanese steel, they get millions of dollars. So it's worth their while to hire people, to, to try to pay people to come in and show up, and all sorts of things. And and it's it's really, once, once you get the, the mechanism of government working... It it really becomes uh, its own self perpetuating cycle. It's it's the only thing. It's it's a like a uh, what do you call those things? A perpetual motion machine. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm glad to hear that uh, there are a lot of backlash to these red lights, and you know I had a lot of study in this, and uh, it was great to hear that art, that uh, story you guys read. Well, it's Thank good. You very much. It's good how that much, you brought up that too. How much backlash is there? I mean, how many places have six or how much effective backlash? How many places have actually pulled down the red light cameras after the people have uh, shown outrage or have pointed out that, for instance, the red light cameras actually encourage accidents because of the shortening of the yellow lights that typically accompany them, etc. I mean, how how often have we seen the the cameras actually come down? No idea. Why don't you do a study? Yeah, that's another thing we have to figure out. Yeah, we gotta we gotta do a study in order to figure out, um, you know, how relevant this, you know, the, this question is. The fact is, um, you know, I mean, it's pretty clear that they've already done studies that these things are dangerous. I don't need uh, I don't need him to know anything else. To, you know, take them down. Yeah. Doug, yeah. any other thoughts? Nope. Looking forward to moving out there in the next five years, though. Oh, great. Well, we'll see you soon, and thanks for the call tonight. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. I know that recently, and I think there was was one in Savannah, and I'm not sure where the other ones were were held, but there were some anti-red light camera protests that went on. I'm not sure exactly what happened. I haven't really followed up on that. I just know that some people were getting out and expressing their displeasure. Of course, uh, last year, I believe, maybe it was over a year ago, but... A while back in, I believe it was the Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona area, there was some folks that dressed up as Santa Claus, and they went and they put a box over top of, like, a, a essentially a, a gift a gift box yeah. style box. And they put that box, got up on a stepladder, awesome. put that box up on top of the red light camera, essentially obscuring its vision and making it so it could not function. And they made a video of it. I think it hit YouTube, and I think it went fairly viral from what I could tell, and that was pretty awesome. Uh, and that's a real backlash. I mean, that's a that's something that actually could make a difference in people's lives rather than just complaining 
or bitching about it to the to the city council. I suppose that if the city council actually does something to remove it, then that's great. And I'm, I imagine there must be. I think a you story. should do both of those things um, yeah. as opposed yeah. to you know uh, just just one of them. I think you should also refuse to pay the tickets as well. Uh, I think that uh, you At should the take, them to, take to yeah, court. Take them to court. And no, I, well, I was just going to say, you know, that there is something kind of funny because when you when you talk to people who are traditional conservatives or the small government conservatives. Uh, there's a comfort level uh, that they reach, and I like the fact that you guys apply your attention and the listeners apply their attention as well to all the different levels of government intrusion in people's lives. Because many people would would say, you know, sort of a, maybe a traditional Reagan Republican type person might say, well, you know, it's a local thing, and and let them let them decide. Right? They want so they want to get on the they want to listen to the Rush Limbaugh show where he tells them about national problems, and those are the ones they want they want to get outraged about because they have. Haven't uh, they haven't taken the philosophies of liberty and applied them evenly? Of course, Rush doesn't either. Well, well in, in some cases, they might find, feel a certain degree of satisfaction, Mark. I don't know how you feel about it, but they might say, well, you know, at least we can control it locally. And 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 they agree that the founding fathers set up a system whereby if you if you really are having a hard time on the local level, you can you can get out of there. You can escape to someplace else that might be slightly different with these different pockets of government that they wanted to have, the towns, the counties, the states. And then the the differentiation but uh really uh, you you see these trends in city after city after city so i think drawing out the larger lesson that government doesn't address people's needs only the market can address people's needs is really such a key thing even on that local government problem level so true 800-259-9231 that allows you to take control of the airwaves this is free talk live you can bring up anything coming up your calls about whatever you want. Free Talk Live. American patriots, would you like to spend a day or two with other freedom-loving Americans? Learn rifle marksmanship while hearing the real story behind the American Revolution? If you said yes, then the Appleseed program is for you. Part shooting school, part oral history lesson, Appleseed has trained thousands of Americans nationwide. And with hundreds of shoots scheduled this year, you can be sure there's one near you. For more information, go to AppleseedInfo.org. That's AppleseedInfo.org. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want if you dial in toll-free. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Gart. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, they're free, including archives. So if you've missed a moment of the show, just click and download. They're yours right there on the front page of the website. You can also go into our podcast and go all the way back to January of 2009. Free for you at freetalklive.com. Now, what if you found out that the best liberty activists from around the world were all moving to the same place in order to achieve liberty in their lifetimes? Would you want to join them? Well, I did. It's happening, and you can be a part of it. Join the Free State Project at freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org as we get closer day by day here to the upcoming 2010 Liberty Forum. Uh, It's happening March 18th through the 21st at the beautiful Crown Plaza Hotel in Nashua, New Hampshire. Free Talk Live will be broadcasting live every single night of the occasion. 
And that's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights that week. So uh, we're I'm pretty excited about it. I know that Mark and Guard, you guys yeah. are both excited to be there. Oh, it's going to be great. Guard, you're going to have, I think, a fairly large role on the show because, uh, I mean, normally when, when we're at the Liberty Forum, we have you in as a guest host. But uh, I think you're going to be sitting in most of the entire show on Friday and Saturday. I'm not sure uh, what y'all's plans are. Whichever but, one's uh, Gardner's yeah, there. Friday yeah, Friday and Saturday. It's going to be great. Yeah. Which is great because I, unfortunately, am, uh, have to go down to New York City for the Talkers Convention that same weekend. And I'm very jealous because I'd rather be at the Liberty Forum, but business must be done. And and you've got a great thing that's going to be going on down there. So thanks to everybody who helps out on the uh, on the AMP program. That's true. But, but right now, I want to tell you about the Free State Project's uh, Liberty Forum, because, well, you can go to that, and you can't really go to the Talkers Convention. FreeStateProject.org slash Liberty Forum. Go there, get signed up, use the FTL discount code to save 10%. The code is FTL. And that'll save you 10% at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. I will be there as much of the time as I possibly can. I have to zip out Friday morning to go down to uh, New York City and then back late Saturday night. In time, I believe, to uh, join the party, which uh, the after-hours parties are, I think, they become one of the highlights of uh, the Liberty Forum. So looking forward to that as well. Plus, there's all kinds of speakers like Andrew Napolitano, uh, the uh, judge from Fox News. You may know him as uh, the judge. He's going to be there. Also, other folks, there's a whole list of them over at freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. Let's go to Jamie in Oklahoma. Hey, Jamie, is this Jamie from Wheels Off Liberty? What's going on, fellas? Hey, hey. dude. Are you go- Are you coming up to the Liberty Forum this year, or is is that not happening? No, I think I'm doing Pork Fest, though. I'd rather ah, cool. just come out and hang out and camp out and just, you know, all that kind of convention stuff kind of bores me to be honest with you. It's, it is definitely a completely different feel from the Porcupine Freedom Festival during the summertime. I like both events, uh, but uh, I think if I had to pick my favorite, I would have to choose Pork Fest, just because it's a little more uh, freewheeling, a little more fun, uh, but the Liberty Forum is uh, is a darn good time if you can uh, afford to make it up. So what's on your mind tonight, Jamie? Well, man, I was I was um, kind of searching. Uh, Taryn and I just got back from Missouri, and we got to speak at the Libertarian Convention there. And oh, is there video? The, of the, wait, wait a minute before you go on. Is there video of you guys speaking? Because I did see the video over at lclreport.com of uh, you calling out the former Libertarian Party vice presidential candidate oh. uh, about uh, assless chaps. That was hilarious. Yes, there there is video of us speaking, and and a lot of the video goes into um, us addressing why Libertarians should be ashamed for even inviting people like old Wayne Astless Chaps Root into <laughs> their conventions even. Yeah. So it's I mean it's a pretty good speech. It's pretty heartfelt and everything, you know. It's it's not quite as wills off as, you know, what our podcast would be or anything, but that was kind of a different MO, you know, speaking to them about that. Now did so, you all speak together on the same uh, same stage? Yeah, we, we spoke together oh, cool. after dinner. Um gave every time everybody time to loosen up with some drinks and stuff where they could kinda get the humor that you know, we might throw at them or anything. So, where, where, can so it was a good time. The, where can people see that video? Um, I'm not real sure. I think Catherine um, Blesh has it on quick, and I think Taryn will be putting it up on LCL okay. report too. All right, so we'll, and, we'll be patient. We'll, we'll be patient and wait for that. So go ahead with the point. I know you had something you were you were getting to there before I interrupted. Yeah. Well, so I come back and I just kind of wanted to see what that Wayne um, Ashless Chaps video was on. So I, I searched on Google within the past week. You know how they have the options for search. And and I was searching Wills Off Liberty Jamie, and a, a, a site came up that was a Ron Paul forum, and somebody had posted on this forum that said, well, Jamie from Wills Off Liberty commits a felony every time he does his podcast. Nice. So I go back in and read what, what this whole thread's about, and apparently here in Oklahoma, 
if you believe in anarchy, and, and the, the law goes on to state any belief that is different from the government that we now have, you are committing a felony if you're going out and spreading this belief to other people, and it's punished by 10 years of prison. Good Lord, so, wow. It was absolutely nuts. It talks about waving a banner and, and a different belief in the government, and I mean that's that's more. I'm pretty, I'm pretty out there on my beliefs. You know, I'm I, I'm somewhat of an activist, not like what you guys are doing in New Hampshire and everything. But I do make a scene every once in a while when I go somewhere. But it's not even about me. I mean, if you disagree that the liquor store should be open on Sundays in Oklahoma, they could throw you in jail for ten years. Over that. So, so it's not just espousing the elimination of the uh, state government apparatus then? I've, I've actually got the, uh, the quote here from Jamie's Facebook profile. If I, I'll just share it here. It's yeah. fairly brief. Any person in the state who shall carry or cause to be carried or publicly display any red flag or other emblem or banner dis- indicating disloyalty to the government of the United States or a belief in anarchy or other political doctrines or beliefs whose objects are either the disruption or destruction of organized government or the defiance of the laws of the United States or the state of Oklahoma shall be deemed guilty of a felony and upon conviction shall be punished by an imprisonment in the penitentiary of the state of Oklahoma for a term not exceeding 10 years or by a fine not exceeding $1,000 or by both such imprisonment and a fine. They think 10 years in prison is worth $1,000? I mean, this is, I get, um, we're, we're poor in Oklahoma. We don't have good jobs. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Jamie. What I'm seeing in there is uh, is that uh, you're just not allowed to wave a flag. Is there another provision where you, oh, can't, no, you speak, can't you can't speak out against the law, as it said? No, you can't speak out. It says it's very vague yeah, on what there. it says there. Yeah. yeah. Where does it say speak so, out? I, all I see is uh, any any person okay. who shall carry or cause to be carried or publicly display any red flag or other emblem or banner. Then but, re- but beyond that. Indicating yeah. disloyalty to the government of the United States or belief in anarchy or other political doctrines or beliefs. So it, so how's that phrased? Because if it's phrased that way, then it's only that you can't carry a banner that shows you don't believe in them. That's what I'm seeing. But then it says, or a belief itself in anarchy, is the way I was reading it. it yeah, I guess like it's it just all depends on your interpretation. It's, yeah, it's right, the right? semantics. You're up there. Yeah, the judge will decide, huh? God. Right. Regardless, I'm going to record Wills Off Liberty in front of the state capitol building with a giant anarchy flag behind me, there you man. Go. That is uh, awesome. Make sure, it's, make sure it's not red. Uh, oh, no, no, it's not, it red. Just, no, red. No, 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 Mark. It, it can be red or any other emblem or banner which indicates disloyalty to the government. Yeah. That's right. I, that's ridiculous, fellas. I mm-hmm. mean, there's... There's no way that that law could ever stick. So I wonder sure if anyone has ever happened. been. I wonder if anyone has ever been brought up on uh, charges back during the law. Red Scare, probably. I, I'm not real <laughs> sure, but I mean, it, it was just kind of, it was kind of spooky seeing your name tied to that, you know, online doing a search. Yeah, that that, that wasn't real cool. So so I'll, I'll just go and um and do it myself. I think Mike's going to be down for it, and we're just going to set up a little computer man and record an episode about that law at the state capitol building. Oh, that is so. awesome. And of course, people Great. can hear that over at wheelsoffliberty.com when it happens. Absolutely, All right, they can. Cool, Jamie, thank you, and good luck with that. I, 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 I hope that uh, you don't get thrown in the clink. Thanks for the call. Oh, no doubt. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. I'm pretty sure we violate FCC regulations whenever we advocate uh, disobedience. Are you moving to New Hampshire for the Free State Project? Maybe you are already here and need to find a place to call your own. Mark Warden, the Porcupine Realtor, will help you find the perfect property. Do you want a home with 50 acres of land? How about an income-producing building? 
perhaps a cabin on a lake or a condo in an urban area. Invest in liberty and property. Contact Mark Warden, Porcupine Realtor. See his banner ad at freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything if you dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line tonight. Ian with you. And Gart. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. Our bulletin board system is there with over 500,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about. Serious issues, silly nonsense, you will find it all at bbs.freetalklive.com, and it's all free. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Do you have existing foreclosures, bankruptcies, judgments, liens, collections, late payments, or any other kind of ugly little thing on your credit file? Do you need to increase your credit score, and soon? Uh, how about hiring private professionals from, or hiring pref- professionals from a law firm? If you uh, go to cleaningcredit.com, it is a law firm there that uh, for a very, very reasonable rate, and I've talked to them, I'm telling you, it's a reasonable rate, they will make sure that your credit report is at the very least as good as it can be and quite possibly uh, better than it could be because, um, well, the laws for uh, disputing the um, credit report are uh, lean towards consumer. Go to cleaningcredit.com. That's cleaningcredit.com. As we go to your phone calls about what you want, Matt is in Illinois on the amp line. Hello, Matt. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, first off, I wish to express my condolences to the people of Westmoreland, New Hampshire, and more specifically to the family of Mary Josephine Ray, America's oldest person who died today at the age of 114. That's right. The uh, New Hampshire, I don't know that it's America's oldest person. You, you may very very well be right. Um, it would be relatively recently that that occurred, but, uh, you know, she, she did pass away today. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm reading it from uh, Voice Blogs, villagevoice.com. There you go. Yeah, yeah isn't it nice that question. a story about an old lady passing away gets bigger coverage than stories about, say, 100 people smoking pot in Central Square or various other uh, instances of mass arrests and civil disobedience here in uh, in Keene? That's the cover. That's the story that the news media People are interested in how old people live to. Yeah, clearly. Um, the other thing I called about was I was listening to Alex Jones today. Uh, I know you guys don't care about that, but... He had a guest on named Max Kaiser, who was a big muckety-muck uh, on Wall Street. He's a uh, uh, investor, trader, dude. And he suggested that people move to New Hampshire. Really? Yes, it was quite interesting. What, was it in reference and, to the Free State Project or just completely separate no, from No, it wasn't. But apparently in New Hampshire, in the um, legislature, in the legislature, I did not know that, but apparently they are uh, trying to pass some kind of bill to investigate uh, further 9-11. Whoopie-doo. He thought it was a good idea to, to, for, for people who believe it, that they should do another investigation of 9-11 to move to New Hampshire move, and help your legislature. Move to New Hampshire and get the legislature to take people's money to pay for an investigation on something which will not come up with any conclusive information, but will show that people are dissatisfied with what was done in the past by the other governmental body that studied it and came up without any information. 
I mean, essentially, that's what we're talking about. You know, I mean, I don't I don't mind people trying to investigate. And it's difficult because you got to get the government to hand over information. You know, I mean, shoot, they confiscated the stinking video camera footage from the gas station across from the Pentagon, for God's sake. Nobody knows what happened to that. Uh, But at the same time, I don't want to force my neighbor to pay for what I find important or or whatever and i frankly with that it's something that i just i I don't think you're ever going to get any information on anyway and i don't i don't find it of that much relative importance with everything else going on right i mean obviously area 59 is the place that we should be it's 51 whatever whatever there's a new one there's it's 59 (laughs) focusing our attention on this area 51 or 59 or 74 or whatever it is and we'll finally find out what happened there yeah, sentimentally, I understand the emotion behind it, but when you start to break it down, what it comes down to is coercion to investigate something that some people want investigated and other people, even though they might not want it investigated, will have their money taken by the New Hampshire legislature when they vote to do so. See what I mean? I don't know if that breaks it down properly, but that's the way I see it. Be that as it may, mm-hmm. uh, it was quite interesting that they came out with that, and your state has garnered more um, more awareness. Well, that's good. Now, see, that's very interesting because in a way it shows that there's sort of a protest mentality, a a pushing back against what's seen as the people in charge or the, the, you know, the – the plotters behind something. You mean from people in New Hampshire? Yeah, well, from from the the people at the Alex Jones show talking about it and the people in New Hampshire pushing for this thing. Exactly. Connecting and it gets national exposure. Um, You know, I I suppose there's there's some – positive benefit to it but to me that overlooks something that is more important which is the fundamental principle of leaving your neighbor alone and not instituting government action against his pocketbook to do something which is what this would do i i agree with that You're, yeah yeah I mean, you won't give any argument for me about yeah, that i yeah. just like i said i feel it's you know you got to take baby steps yeah I, I know what you mean and i don't yeah, I don't right. want to get too too on well, top of it, but I, I did think it needed to be brought up. You, you, know. you can't deny right. that uh, some of the 9-11 truth people have been brought into the liberty movement from that particular outlet. Sure. But yeah. I just always have to just shake my head and, you know, face palm, as they call it on the Internet, mm-hmm. uh, whenever I see them out there touting their, uh, their 9-11 truth things. It's like, well, why don't you guys just pick up the JFK assassination? I mean, that's another important uh, Event in in history. Why not start to start toting that banner or too? Area Fifty One. While you're yeah. at it, I mean, what what? There's there's this young lady that posts on her Facebook account uh, saying, "Yapping about nine eleven may not be the easiest topic to shake people awake on." True, but then again, show me the easy one. Well, okay. How about anything that doesn't require speculation? How about there whatever it That's is right. those people are concerned with? I was just I was just at a party for uh, you know one of Jack's little friends um, you know there, there too I'm sure he was very concerned about her birthday mm-hmm. um, but you know and I was there talking to this gal who's working on her doctorate and she's concerned about poor people in poor countries being taken care of and we were talking about you know government funding versus private funding and she talked herself into the private funding model because. It works. I mean, she was talking about some schools in Afghanistan built, getting built for $12,000 versus mm. more than 100000 The government uh, throws at it, and it doesn't get built. Matt, any other thoughts? No, I just thought you guys would be interested in Thank that. Thank you. I yep. will 
Hey, I'll take I'll take government. new movers. Hopefully, they're liberty oriented. I just don't necessarily count 9/11 truthers as liberty people right off the bat. It's just from the default. I don't know what they are. I don't know what they're looking for. I don't know what they want. All I know is that they support so-called 9/11 truth, and that's yeah. not that's not liberty. It's you know maybe they do believe in liberty as an aside, but maybe they don't. Thanks for the call. 800-259-9231. Well, I was, I was just saying, you know, um, it, we were constantly in this sort of state of flux. Uh, those of us who try to embrace as many of the principles of liberty as possible and, and, and you know, spread the word about them, uh, where you you know that sentimentally some people are more leaning towards what you're saying. Uh, some of them believe that there is uh, good to be had in the state government paradigm, and it's just that those people who are in charge of it currently have, have morphed it and mutated it into something too big and, and not addressable to the people. And you always hear the term American democracy. I was listening to a talk radio program out of New York last night, and uh, uh, a man was on who had written a book about democracy and history and things like that, and talking about America's democracy. And, you know, we're brought up with that terminology, mm-hmm. and I think it if you can get a few of these people who are dissatisfied with the way things have been going and say to them, I think Glenn Jacobs does a fantastic job on this. And other people, Sheldon Richmond, you guys here are doing a great job. Uh, Ernie Hancock also does a wonderful job. Lou Rockwell, say to them, look, this is the general tendency of of even what you think is a laudable system, the small government system that the founding fathers that you worship so much and, and, and appreciate. And some of them were great guys set up, but it can't withstand the tendencies of personalities and politics and government. It cannot stop People in it. search of power. Yes. Right? So you've got to constantly, not just constant vigilance, but constant vigilance and education. That's so key. What you guys do here is key. 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can take control of the airwaves. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. And this is Free Talk Live, 1-800-259-9231. Thousands of years ago, from the time of Moses to the time of Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and beyond... TrustedCoins.com brings you an incredible selection of authentic Greek, Biblical, Roman, and Byzantine ancient coins, all certified authentic by world-renowned numismatic expert Ilya Zlobin. Transport yourself to the distant past now at TrustedCoins.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever's on your mind. Dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Coming up, Mark, you've got an email you want to share with us about the borders. The borders and immigrants. Uh, We'll get to that here, but your calls are the primary element to Alaska. We go to Jeremy. Jeremy, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello there. Jeremy, you've got to turn down whatever it is you're listening to and actually listen over your phone. Because if you're listening on the internet feed, this is instruction for everyone, not just Jeremy. If you're listening via our internet feed, it's possible that what you're hearing happened 30 seconds ago. Uh, yeah, true. As, as, as right. many as... Jeremy! Yay. Yes. There you are. Sorry yeah. about that, that, guys. That's okay. What's on your mind tonight? Usually I'm on top of it. That's probably the first time and out of the two or three years I've been calling you guys. You really are usually on top of it. There's no doubt about it. That's What's why up? we talked for a little while to give you a chance. E- even when hammered. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. What's up, dude? Uh, I was wondering if you guys, you guys are kind of at the center of the uh, info wars on front. I mean, as far as you guys usually know what's going on before a lot of people do. But that new amendment by John McCain and uh, uh, Joe Lieberman, the supposed libertarian. Yeah, I've heard of this. I have no idea what you're talking about. uh, Lock up and all that other stuff, if you're enemy belligerent. I'm debating online with this guy now who doesn't even know that, I mean, belligerent, I guess, isn't a good thing always, but it's still a thought, you know, or showing up at a protest with a sign, you can be considered a enemy belligerent. That can be considered a hostile act. So wait a minute, am I understanding you to say that there's some sort of proposed legislation that would would make it... Illegal to uh, to protest the government is I've that what? Well, that's not what it's saying, but I mean it. It does say that anyone with uh, they, they call them enemy belligerents. So if you're protesting the war and you're out there, you know, fighting mad but peacefully with a sign, you know, yeah. screaming at the government or whatever, couldn't you be considered an enemy belligerent? That's, well, this sounds is, that way. This is at, yeah. At that this point, this mean, is a couple. There are a couple things that uh, that come to mind. Um, uh, first of all, the the enemy combatants thing and enemy belligerents thing. Uh, I did look it up, and and the uh, the bill is there. It was posted March fourth on a, a bunch of different websites. You got it exactly right. Fox News has it, um, and. Uh, amazingly, Lindsey Graham was one of the people who was speaking out against it. That guy's such a jerk; it's unbelievable. But uh, you you hit it. It this goes back to the Patriot Act and uh, what they termed enemy combatants. And originally, under the first version of the uh, Patriot Act, an American citizen could be considered an enemy combatant and could have been held without habeas corpus. Even though Congress has not lifted habeas corpus, it has to be a universal lifting based on the Constitution. The president can't lift it. They can't give the president the power to lift lift habeas or selectively apply habeas to different people. And habeas, but they did. That they did, exactly, with the Guantanamo Bay suspects. And the whole reason we're having this problem, and I've said it many times, so I'll just go through it very quickly, is that they did not declare war in Congress. Since they can only do one thing to send the president out to lead the troops, which is a declaration of war, and they did not, what happens is you can't hold these guys in military trials. You can't hold them under the prisoner of war acts. Because it's not a war. Exactly. They're supposed to. The only other alternative is that they have to be tried under U.S. criminal code as terrorists. But they didn't want to do do that that. either. Precisely. And that's what makes so many of the Republicans upset that the Obama administration actually might do what is the only alternative if they haven't declared war is to try them under U.S. criminal code like other terrorists. So they've created this other thing, this area of, of ambiguity where they can try you as an enemy belligerent an enemy combatant and right. now yes and now well, it enemy appears belligerent is a new term well, for me i've heard the enemy that, combatant that's thing. what gets me about that's the it. bill is it uses it uses the term, term belligerent yes. instead of combatant yes I mean, belligerent yeah. covers a whole nother wide sure does area i've got the people i mean just being a freedom lover say you hate this bill or you say f this bill or whatever then 
that could be considered belligerent. That's precisely it. You're not in, yeah. you're not involved in combat. That's two totally different things. I've got some uh, wording from Fox News here, and this does set off a lot of alarm bells to me. The legislation by Senator John McCain of Arizona and Joe Lieberman of Connecticut would result the libertarian Joe Lieberman, the right? Independent. No, yeah. he's not libertarian. <laughs> he wouldn't be close to that. <laughs> it would result in banning all civilian trials for terror suspects who have been classified as enemy combatants and forcing their cases into military commissions. Again, these military commissions are not sanctioned by the Constitution. They're, they're, it's, right. it's just a fiction. They, they might as well say military donut donut holes. You know, The bill lays out comprehensive policy for the detention, interrogation, and trial of suspected unprivileged enemy belligerents who are believed to have engaged in hostilities against the United States by requiring these individuals to be held in military custody – interrogated for their intelligence value and not provided with a Miranda warning, according to a release from McCain's office. Well, especially like you, you, if you're like, you know, like a lot of the guys I knew when I was in Montana, you know, uh, they get they kind of consider themselves, you know, uh, Constitution militias or what, and they go out and target practice on the weekends and whatever, and it's totally peaceful, but I mean, that could well, they could definitely want to round those guys up as being belligerents, right? So, well, okay. So what I'm hearing them, uh, what I'm hearing, maybe I missed you say this, guard, mm-hmm. but uh, but the, the definition of belligerent is as a noun is somebody who is uh, a member of the military forces or someone who is a hostile or aggressive, especially one that is engaged in I war. I have the definition here in front of me. It says. Uh, Mean having an aggressive or fighting attitude, or uh, often implies being actually at war or engaged in hostilities, uh, suggestions of dis- disposition of fight, a drunk in a bellicose mood is a belligerent, uh, right. suggestions of disposition that take pleasure in personal combat. So it sounds to me like they've expanded. I mean, I don't, now is that definition coming from the dictionary? Because mine's coming from the dictionary. Uh, Whereas the definition Marian coming Webster. from the com. right, the law definition might be different. They can because, define them any way they oh, want. Right. right. Whenever they whenever they use a word that appears to be English in a law, you actually have to go to uh, to the definition section of the law in order to see what they're they mean by using the term. So we don't really know what their What's intentions. That you have there, if you don't mind. Uh, the dictionary? For, Dictionary.com? For the, le- for the legal term. Oh, uh, there's usually Black's Law Dictionary, but I don't know what the website okay. is. There's a bell. Uh, oh, there's another one. Ballantine's Legal Dictionary. That one is available in full on the internet. The third edition and Black's is available second edition on the internet. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean just because you look it up in Ballantine's doesn't mean that it's going to mean the same right. thing in that statute. You actually have to look at the actual definition section of the law itself to see what their intention is by using the term belligerent. But they certainly have shifted their uh, their terminology. I mean, combatant makes That's it right. seem pretty clear that. They're talking about people that are allegedly engaging in hostilities. The term belligerent can include somebody who is advocating the engaging of hostilities. It can include someone who is speaking about fighting the state and that sort of thing. And I have to point out that I've... Another one here I see, don't mean to interrupt, but another one I see real quick is you can be exhibiting assertiveness. So you can just be, you know, like protesting 
or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, that, that it's this definitions like that that disturb me that this really is quite an expansion, and maybe we'll find out what their definition is because that's probably the most relevant portion. Thank you for the call. I appreciate yeah. the heads up on that, Jeremy. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You know who's excellent on this subject is Judge Napolitano, and I would recommend that if anybody is on the fence and they really want to soak up information uh first you know first of all seek him out on the internet uh check out freedom watch uh check out his radio show uh but think about coming to the liberty forum and and this is not some you know just an advertising or anything like that because the man is brilliant and his book a nation of sheep addresses the bush administration's move on this part with the acquiescence and assistance of the democrats in the senate when they sent out alberto gonzalez in 2000 2001 2002 to try to make sure that they did not declare war after the 9-11 attacks and of course anybody who didn't vote for a declaration of war um should not have been in office because there's only one thing that the Congress can do if they want the president to use the troops. They have to declare war. Well, supposedly, but they yes, don't, obviously. Precisely. Exactly. Because they can do whatever they want. Right. So the same the, thing applies yeah. here with the enemy combatant designation. We've seen them just labeling people as enemy combatants yeah. so they can just pick them up, put them in and a military brig somewhere, and then subject them to a military tribunal. Exactly. Uh, and it just I, depends. It just depends on the composition of the courts afterwards. Antonin Scalia, when when the first cases of the Guantanamo Bay suspects not getting habeas trials, which is they have to present the evidence against you, they can't hold you indefinitely because there's a system to U.S. jurisprudence. Whether you are a foreigner or you're an American, it has to go by a certain system. When they first brought their lawsuits to the Supreme Court, Antonin Scalia was quoted beforehand saying, "I'll be damned if I give those guys habeas course, corpus trials or hearings because." My son is in the Marines, and he's over there now. He should have been off the bench. Toll-free number 800-259-9231. I'd like to do a little bit more digging into this enemy belligerent concept here. Also, take your calls about whatever you want. Mark's going to share an email. You can take control of the airwaves. This is Free Talk Live, 1-800-259-9231. Hour two's coming up. Duty. Honor. Family. They're more than words for active and separated members of the U.S. military. You've defended our freedom, and we're here to help your family. This is Tim Lewis of iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. You've served your country with honor, and you're entitled to benefits not available to the general public, like buying a home with no down payment, streamlined refinancing, or getting cash out up to 100% of your home's equity. And because of your service to your country, it's usually easier to qualify for a VA loan than a conventional loan. On your feet! And get all the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com or call 800-900-VA-LOAN. varadio.com. This is Free Talk Live. We are launching into the second hour of the program. You are invited to take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever's on your mind. 800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Guard. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. 
So we had a call come in at the very end of the hour, last hour, uh, giving us a heads up on this news that is coming out of Washington, D.C., where a couple of uh, big-name senators have proposed a new piece of legislation, the Enemy Belligerent Interrogation Detention and Prosecution Act of 2010. According to the story at PrisonPlanet.com, basically anyone with a dissenting political opinion may now be considered a domestic terrorist. And uh, indeed, the, this new bill will possibly detain people as enemy belligerents indefinitely and without trial based on as, uh, something as generic as suspected activity. According to the story here, the bill does not distinguish between U.S. citizens and non-citizens and states that suspected belligerents who are considered a high-value detainee shall not be provided with a Miranda warning. A person is considered a high-value detainee if they fulfill one of the following criteria. One, poses a threat of an attack on civilians or civilian facilities within the United States or U.S. facilities abroad. Two, poses a threat to U.S. military personnel or U.S. military facilities. Three, potential intelligence value. That's a pretty big one, huh? If you have potential intelligence value, you could be rounded up as a high-value detainee. Right, which puts the the sort of the onus of uh, proof upon the people who would need to provide the proof, which is a very bad scenario. Essentially, you ask the bureaucrat that wants your butt put in jail whether or not it's a good idea to put your butt in jail. That's a bad idea. Every time. Oh, is this guy going to provide us with good intelligence? Well, of course he is. Well, potentially. And potential is enough. No. Not, whether or not you have intelligence is not an issue. Whether they think you have intelligence, if they believe you have the potential. Well, that's always what it's going to be. It's whether yeah. they think you have it or not. A couple, not couple, a couple things uh, that are relevant here. After the um, – there were two Supreme Court cases that were brought up. There was the Hamdi case and the Hamdan case. Uh, that were brought up that uh, had to do with the Bush administration, Guantanamo Bay suspects, the non-declaration of war, although that was really sort of a subtext that was never brought to the surface, and the fact that these guys weren't given habeas corpus hearings. Okay, Now, they kept saying, we've been held for years. You can't keep doing this. And their their lawyers were saying, you're holding us under U.S. law, so what are you going to do? After the Supreme Court ruled that they had to be given habeas corpus hearings – the Congress wrote the Military Commissions Act of 2006. Yep. Remember that? Yes, I do. And that one allowed the president to selectively lift habeas corpus in these military tribunals so that they wouldn't have to. Now, I don't. Entirely illegal. Yeah, completely. I mean, on so many levels. Completely unconstitutional. Congress is. It's. I mean, only Congress can lift habeas corpus. It's a universal lift of the writ of habeas corpus. I mean, it goes. It's, it's very, very in depth. But in this, this is quite interesting because this is. This is a situation – I don't know what the final outcome was of the 2006 Military Commissions Act. I believe that even that aspect of, of it with the habeas trials was overturned so that they they are supposed to present them with habeas corpus hearings. But they drag their going? feet on it. Yeah. I don't. They, 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 how much time? I don't know. Right. You're supposed to have a speedy trial. Now, the other thing about this is that, and I know that many people are going to be very they're alarmed. Gonna de- they're going to deliver the body when they actually have a body. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's but, what habeas it, comes And what exactly? What what else alarms me, Ian, is okay. We don't know what this what this is going to do, but it seems very ambiguous, and I think a lot of alarm oh, bells. I haven't would even go gotten off. to point four and five yet. Okay, well, I'll be real quick. I think many Americans would be very worried about this, right? 
but well, clearly, no, probably not because uh, most Americans. I mean, some Americans yeah. would be worried. People like us. Yeah. Uh, but most Americans will probably look at this and they'll say, "Well, I'm not an enemy combatant. I, I love the, the United problem? States, so I don't have a problem." Well, just a slightly different spin on this. What this also should indicate to people is just how lacking in understanding this lawyer Joe Lieberman and this former military guy John McCain are. The bill sponsors. Yes, the bill sponsors in how their government is supposed to operate. Because what they're doing here, they're trying to address what they see as a problem on conservative talk radio. I can't believe that these people in Gitmo are going to be given the, the, over to the criminal court system in the United States and afforded Miranda rulings. What are you going to do? Read Miranda rights on the battlefield? This shows you that McCain and Lieberman do not grasp what only three people grasped when Ron Paul presented a declaration of war, which is that you've got to declare war. So they're trying they're trying to come up with some sort of an answer that they see as, oh, it's, it's innocuous. It's not going to put Americans in jeopardy and so on. Americans should feel jeopardized, it seems like. But also there's another lesson from this that I just wanted to mention, which is that it shows the towering edifice of ignorance that these guys, Lieberman and McCain and others like them who support this type of nonsense, stand for because they don't address the core problem. The core problem is you don't need this type of legislation, you idiots, so that the guys don't have to read Miranda rights on the battlefield in Afghanistan or Iraq. Just make the battlefields wars, real battlefields for God's sake, and then you can hold them as POWs and then you can try them under war crimes tribunals. Well, and of course this uh, may apply here to the United States where there is no battlefield because I think they consider the entire United States the whole world when you're when you're at war with terror Ian the whole world is your battlefield points number four and five uh, these are the other criteria the possible pr- criteria uh, again a, a person will be considered a high value detainee if you fulfill one of these criteria so the first uh, were, were uh, threats or potential threats to civilians or military and if you have potential intelligence value which is pretty generic number 4 is a member of al-Qaeda or a terrorist group affiliated with al-Qaeda or number Cause, 5 cuz al-Qaeda al-Qaeda is a designation that was given by the CIA nobody says I'm a member of al-Qaeda here's my al-Qaeda membership card yeah. member since 2001 so they'll they determine. don't have that they don't even call it that they say they're the they're a mem- member of the muja Allah have been um 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 or whatever that I mean they just they say a bunch of different things that don't mean Al Qaeda to them. Number five, Al Qaeda is some. Uh, hold on, just before yeah. we go any farther. During uh, during the Cold War and during World War II, the United States had names for the uh, the airplanes from the other side. Um, during World War II, the, the Japanese planes were called a bunch of different girls' names, like the Sallies and the and and you know I, I can't even remember. There was of course the Zero, and then everything else was called some girl's name. And uh, during the Cold War, they had uh, the names that they gave the the Russian um, Fishbed and Foxbat and all these other terms for their fl- fighter planes. The Russians didn't call the F, you know, the, the, their F-25 or whatever it is, Foxbat, a Foxbat. We called it that. So you can't say that if somebody says that they're flying a Foxbat, then they're in trouble because they're not going to call it that. Number five, other such matters, excuse me, such other matters as the president considers appropriate. Oh, wow. That's awesome. There There's you your go. big one. I mean, as though number three weren't uh, wide-cutting no, enough. No wonder you want to get to those things, Ian. Yeah. Shoot. Such other matters as the president considers appropriate. Now, if you recall, there was a uh, – you know, I, all this legislation, it muddles together for me, so I don't remember exactly what it was. Yeah. But there was one uh, another piece of legislation, I believe, that went through last year or some, sometime in the, in the recent past – 
that essentially left a, a door wide open to where any kind of disaster situation or any situation in which the president considers appropriate, they can bring military troops into, into a that town. That was the and, elimination of the po- posse comitatus. Yeah, I just don't remember Mil- what Military the, Commissions Act? I don't think that. I think no, it was, was more recent than that. Uh, I think it was within the Obama administration when that one passed, but I'm not positive. It all I runs that was together. Late Bush. It all runs together for me. I mean, I'm not somebody who follows this stuff real. They're real all close. the same to me. Yeah, they they just they're writing words down on paper that are preparing to justify whatever it is that they're thinking about doing, and they've got all the the pieces in place that they need. Pretty much, they've been putting them in place for the last decade. Uh, they've got all the pieces in place. Of course, Obama just signed the re-up on the Patriot Act last week. So they've got all the pieces in place to uh, to implement a martial law situation in this country, to round up whoever it is that they want to, label them an enemy combatant, or now the new enemy belligerent term, but which this hasn't passed it yet. It didn't stop them from doing it before, though. They did it with Jose no. Padilla. No, that's what I'm saying. It, it, it hasn't stopped them in the past, but it's going to essentially legalize the process even more so than uh, than it might have been in the past. Because now they'll be able to look at, uh, they'll be able to just point to their laws and say, well, see, it says right here we can do this. Oh, we're sorry. You got your loved one here in this uh, prison cell. Well, he's an enemy belligerent, and uh, the president has decided that it's appropriate for us to hold him indefinitely without trial. 800-259-9231. Make sure you pay your taxes now. Support your government. You can take control of the airwaves. Bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. The legendary race into the night. The world's fastest sports car racing door-to-door for 12 hours in an epic showdown. Be there Saturday, March 20th at Sebring International Raceway. The 58th annual Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring presented by Fresh from Florida is coming March 20th. See Porsche, Corvette, Ferrari, Jaguar, BMW, Mazda, Acura, and other world-class racing teams battle in America's toughest road race. Gates open on Wednesday, March 17th. Order your tickets today. Call 800-626. 7223 or visit SebringRaceway.com. See the cars and stars of the American Le Mans series, seven supporting races, vintage race cars, driver autograph sessions, the party zone, and much more. Four days of family fun at Sebring. Children 12 and under admitted free. For more info, visit SebringRaceway.com. The 58th annual Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, presented by Fresh from Florida. March 20th is the date. Sebring is the place. Order your tickets at SebringRaceway.com. Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves. Dial in toll free at 800 259 9231. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. 1 800 259 9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Guard. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All of the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Uh, and those features, by the way, include our webcam. You can go and get interactive. You can uh, watch the show produced live. You can also chat with other listeners. There's a chat room in the cam all on the same page. You can go to cam.freetalklive.com. That's cam.freetalklive.com. By watching the show produced live, you mean like seeing us sit here and talk to, during the commercial? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, stuff. <laughs> right. So critical thinking question. Gardner. People like it. What can you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people want to see the cam, no doubt, and and it's a better quality feed, it's right? Because you guys are good-looking guys. It is a better quality. Better than what? Better quality feed than the stream? No, no, no. Oh, my mistake. Critical thinking question, Gardner. Yes. Okay. Why would something that's so good for us, like public education, need to be imposed on us with the use of force? That's or, an interesting question. Yeah. Or funded by the use of force? Maybe there's something else going on. 
School Sucks Podcast is a show about the end of public education. Visit schoolsucksproject.com to learn more. I That's schoolsucksproject.com. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great show. In fact, Brett from the School Sucks Project, uh, School Sucks Podcast, is going to be one of the speakers at the upcoming 2010-2010 Liberty Forum coming up here in less than two weeks. You can go to freestateproject.org slash libertyforum to uh, learn about who all is going to be speaking there because it's not just him. There's a whole list of uh, distinguished guests freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. Mark, let's jump into an email. You've got something. Somebody is upset, predictably, over our position on the borders. I don't know that upset. I I didn't say upset. Just somebody who has other ideas. All right. Let's hear it. You love you love a bad email so much. Um, I you know that 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 that's just sort of expecting something like this to come on, but um, actually my computer's froze. All right. Well, then I'll tell you what. We'll <laughs> talk about uh, the. Uh, can I just want you mention one thing? Yeah. Uh, on the break we were, we were bringing this up and and uh, this this whole thing about this McCain Lieberman um, enemy belligerence bill. Uh, I just wanted to mention for those people who do want to look it up, uh, the way this goes uh, basically in the U.S. laws is the there are a couple um, people who were who were snatched up the uh, the Hamden case and the Hamdi case just prior in the in the uh, early 2000s and uh, they were held without habeas corpus hearings. They brought they brought a suit. The Supreme Court ruled that they had to be given habeas corpus hearings. Then in 2006, Congress responded by writing the Military Commissions Act. The Military Commissions Act gave the president the power to selectively lift habeas corpus for certain individuals. The Supreme Court originally was not going to hear the challenge to that from a guy named Boumedien, and then they ended up hearing it a year later. So in 2008, they ruled that habeas corpus rights – must be extended to alien, unlawful enemy combatants, as the term has been used now and invented by these politicians. Uh And this new proposal from McCain and Lieberman is their stupid, childish attempt to try to get around it. Okay, so basically what you're saying is that the Supreme Court did decide that habeas corpus had to be extended to the enemy, so-called yes. enemy combatants. So yes. now they're coming up with enemy belligerent so as to start that process all over again to where and the Supreme Court... Now we're not going to call them enemy combatants no more. We're going to call them enemy belligerent. Right, so then the yeah. Supreme Court would theoretically have to also review this, and who knows how many years it'll take to get around to that point. Right, that kind of and thing. the politicians can keep on coming up with stupid labels until they're done doing whatever it is they're doing, and then enemy hoopers slapped down by the... Right? <laughs> and 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 but what does it what does it tell us that they are so resistant to declaring war? What the I mean there is there is a huge eight hundred pound gorilla in this room, and it is the fact that they won't declare war. Why will they not just do what the Constitution allows them to do? Declare war, and then this is all resolved. But they won't do it. There's something happening here, and it bothers me greatly. I don't What's know your if speculation. It, well, I, I, I go towards the conspiratorialists here to say I think that they don't want to declare war because they want to have the give the president the power to use the military anytime, anywhere, yep. for any purpose, and arrest anyone he damn well pleases. And who do they declare war against anyway? I mean, well, can you declare war against al-Qaeda? Well, they could have declared war against they – de- they could have declared war against Iraq, and they didn't. They shouldn't have, but they could have, and they did not. Yep. They could have, instead of declaring war, and they could have declared war against Al Qaeda if they wanted to. It's it's a bit of a stretch. Really, you don't have to declare war against state. a state. But what they should have done in that case was uh, gone through with uh, uh, letters of mark and reprisal. 
Mm. And then they could have hired people to go after these guys, and it would have, would have been, been a lot resolved. cheaper. Exactly, they did that. But but again, if but they, that wouldn't benefit the military industrial complex. No, if they just went and no, did exactly. the letters of marketing and, and it wouldn't yes. have done the Orwellian thing of watering down everybody's concept of what is a war: the war on terror, the war on drugs, yeah. the war on poverty, the war on everything. You know? Well, I can I know what a war is still, even despite all of those different titles. It's it's where the government hurts people. Well stated. Yeah, I mean, whether it's uh, drug users or alleged terrorists or whoever it is we're talking about, they hurt people. All right, Mark, uh, you did pull up the email successfully. Yeah, I unfroze here. Um, so anyway, this is uh, from Jim. Hi, Mark. I was reflecting on the topic of open borders in a free society yesterday. And if the ability um, to secure the freedoms we have by birthright and Boy, I hate that term. <laughs> Could be protected from an assault by any person or group of people that may wish to uh, make North America their home and how and how um, that would happen. Before the European colonialists invaded an already present and massive confederacy of Native Americans. I don't know that there was much of a confederacy, but we can call it that if you want. A nation existed of multiple tribes of people that lived in union um, amongst each other that are attributed to the model of the Articles of Confederation and the uh, Constitution of these United States were based on. Consider this enlightening observation of how the uh, Native Americans lived before our ancestors entered their unprotected open borders. And he has a link here. Natural freedom, and here's a quote from it, natural freedom is the only object of the policy of the Native Americans. For this freedom, um, for this, with this freedom do nature and climate rule alone amongst them. Native Americans maintain their freedom and find abundant nourishment and are people who live without laws, without police, without religion. And that's from Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the Jesuit and the savage in New France. Notice uh, that before our ancestors arrived on their shores, the Native Americans lived without laws, without police. And I hold a conflict with Jean-Jacques Rousseau in the opinion that Native Americans held a religion. They uh, honored the great spirit, just not the Catholic religion. Yeah. American uh, history stands that a flourishing, freedom-loving civilization that engaged in in trade amongst each other and evidence shows they traded with the Chinese and the Vikings – were reduced to dead shadow, a dead shadow of what they were once were, kindly giving blankets to the um, at the direction of George Washington, affected with measles, taken as human slaves, raped, marched to their death in the Trail of Tears. Their mainstay of food, the buffalo killed by the hundreds of thousands under Andrew Jackson for entertainment, uh, corralled and placed on a reservation out of white man's way. Nice it's outcome tragic. for their open borders. Look at them now. So he's essentially paranoid saying that uh, people are going to come in and take over if the borders are open. Is that the idea? Well, I think that it's I think it I think everyone here can agree that probably immigration to this country would increase if we were to get rid of all immigration laws. Right. Probably, I suppose. I, I mean, I think that that's what his concern is. And then, um, you know, like But how- his concern is that they're going to be violent and they're going to hurt people and uh, take over by force. Is that the idea? That uh, these four uh, Mexicans that are going to come up here and uh, Guatemalans? He's, he's making a case that has happened before and then what what could happen? I mean, Ludicrous. Yeah. We'll come back with more here. We can talk about it. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can take control of the airwaves, bring up whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. This Your Family Today tip is brought to you by Nestle Candy. For inspiring ideas for your next celebration, be sure to visit us at celebrationcorner.com. 
You don't have to wait for a holiday to plan a festive meal. Celebrate any time with a fun menu or creative theme. Invite friends for a roll-your-own sushi dinner. Or surprise your family with a birthday cake when it's nobody's birthday. Fun is the name of the game, so make up a special reason of your own. For more tips like these, visit us at parenthood.com slash yourfamilytoday. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves and dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, Ian with you. Vanguard. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are free. They include our bulletin board system with over 500,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about. Serious issues, fun stuff. You'll find it all over at pbs.freetalklive.com. The Institute for Humane Studies summer internship program is now accepting applications. Gardner, you ever taught one of these uh, these summer summer? Uh, excuse me, this is the the their seminar program. Yes. Uh, their summers. Have you ever taught one of their seminars? I have never taught one. I've been to two of the seminars, and they're amazing. I see. Yeah. Well, um, the, some of the topics for this year is liberty in education, radicals for capitalism, ideas of a free society. There's a total of 11, and they're in major cities across the country. The IHS provides meals and housing. All you have to do is get your young college-age butt to the location. The deadline for registration is March the 31st. Really, really. If you don't register by March the 31st, you will not be going to one of the IHS's summer seminars. So go to libertarianseminars.com. That's libertarianseminars.com and register today. Okay. Before we get back to the calls, I want to make sure we have a chance to address this email appropriately here. Mark, did you finish the email or is there more to it? No, there's there's significantly more. Significantly. All right. Well, uh, so, so far this guy has basically said that we should be afraid of opening borders and allowing free people to allowing people to come here and make a better life for themselves because it could be like the uh, slaughter of the American Indians where people uh, a thirsting horde of people come over across the border and just start slaughtering people. It's it happened, didn't it? Okay, yeah, it did happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, is that's it, that's is the it happening now. What do you mean? Is it, is it happening now? No, but um, the the concern, <laughs> the point he's making here is is that we have to have laws that control immigration. Do we have those? So yes, uh, what we're getting here is uh, the argument against the anarcho-capitalist uh, view that you have to you can have uh, societal organization without government, and that society can respond to an invading force. Essentially, I don't know how. I don't really like. I'm for, it is. for freedom, um, Gardner. I'm for freedom and, and people crossing borders. Yes. And I am neither an anarchist nor a capitalist. Yes. So I don't like really that term, anarcho-capitalist. Personally yes. applied to that, it's just the idea of freedom when it comes well, to borders. Or not. I, I think what you've got here are two two different arguments. One is. Uh, and this tends, you know, I don't want to try to twist it towards the towards the free market argument, but uh, it was really not until government started to get involved that you started to see this mass extermination of the Indians. And uh, the very early colonies were, of course, established under British, British law, but there were variations between them uh, in the New England colonies. In some instances, you had a lot of good trade. 
Um, the people there started worked with the Indians. Uh, they didn't have a lot of firepower, military might behind them. They couldn't take advantage of these guys. They traded with them. They were peaceful, and the Indians traded back. They did have forts along uh, the Connecticut River, as I recall. I believe uh, that you know that several of the towns were called number one, number as two, it, and, number, yeah, number old three. Fort, number I've been old Fort number forty-two number four, or something. No, no it's number four, four down um, in Massachusetts. Oh no, number four is in up in Walpole. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. And uh, so those things started to grow. I think as the organization got more powerful, the colonial organization got more mm-hmm. powerful. So it's it's a very interesting thing to look at. I don't know how much time we can devote to it, but I think there's a, a bit of a difference between the argument against the anarcho free market. Essentially, what he's doing is he's posing an argument, really, about can an anarcho free market society withstand and respond to quickly enough an aggressive encroachment by some other force from outside their particular zone is essentially what we're looking at. And, and then you have the two answer is splits. Yes. Well, I was going to say you have two splits from that. One is a gradual advancement, which would be the immigration argument. Yeah. And then that it, it seems to have been transmogrified because of the colonial influence by the by the various British and French uh, French kingdoms. You know. So it's it's. I hope I'm distinguishing this. Properly, well, I think one of the question. issues is is that you're talking about uh, people who are more technologically advanced immigrating into an area where uh, – migrating, excuse me, into an area where they were less technologically advanced. You mean the colonialists versus the Indians? Isn't that yes. right? Isn't yeah, that yeah, what yeah, this yeah, we're talking guns. about here? Yeah. Whereas when you're talking about Mexican peasants or um, – you know, and, and Chinese yeah. peasants, which is essentially what we're dealing with here, when you look at the two the two countries where people come from to this country the yeah. most without uh, – you know, illegally, um, you're talking about people who are – technologically not nearly as advanced the only weapon that they can employ is the weapon of governance and if they can employ that weapon it's only because uh, it exists and it's been handed over to them i don't propose that people who come here be able to uh, to vote in order to take away rights of people who who are currently here i'm just saying they should be able to come and work and, and provide for their families mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. It seems to me that this is really paranoid. I mean, the idea that uh, a bunch of people are going to come here, whether from China or Mexico, wherever it is they're, they're coming from, uh, and come here and start shooting. Uh, what's stopping them from doing that right now? I mean, there's nothing stopping them from doing an assault on Precinct 13, like the John Carpenter movie from 1980, uh, going in and just taking out the cops. Uh, if you have a horde of people coming across the border, then uh, you've got more people than they do at that point. And uh, so where is the big threat? Is the suggestion that because there's some guys out there driving around cop cars that all the immigrants that are supposedly going to be mad murderers are just uh, you know, holding back and, and not following through with their plan to slaughter the United States population. If that's the case, if that's what this emailer actually believes, then in the that's market society... That's not what society, he's saying at all. I mean, you're really mischaracterizing this He's emailer. talking about the the Indians being slaughtered by the white people, right? It, it was He talked about it over a long period of time. That's not how it happened. They just didn't walk in here and start killing Indians, man. Mm. I mean, See, there was... It, it, but that know, would seem to be like a possible scary scenario, the idea that people are going to come in and just start killing people. That would people. be a real invasion, okay? Right. And in which He's case, not talking about invasion. He's case. talking about immigration. Okay, but it sounded to me like he was talking about the extermination of the If you'd Indians. like me to read the whole email, I can do that. But you appear to want to take callers. 
What do you want well, to do? No, I'm telling you, I, did, did he a, not reference? I'm so, maybe I'm not clear on what part you've actually read. Isn't he, wasn't he talking about how the Indians were slaughtered by the white people? He, he referenced more than 200 obviously, years worth of Obviously, it history. didn't happen overnight. Obviously, that didn't happen overnight. But the scary thing that he's coming up with here is they're going to come kill us. I, you're, you're mischaracterizing. That's what he's talking completely about. Mischaracterizing I, I have to did say, you hear that, guard? I have to that say, email? Mark, that's the impression that I got, which he's, was his argument was a, a nation or a society that allows – Foreigners in like that uh, could run run the risk of going the same direction of what happened to the Indians. And that's absolutely a significantly better characterization of what he's talking about here. Well, that's this just is changing not, the words. This running is, the he said this running is not the risk some of what hyperbolic, uh, over the top characterization that immigrants are leprosidic, dog eating, uh, uh, you know, evil hordes coming just, from across the border. He just said they could slaughter and kill yeah. people. Well, and and the, and the question is, those of us, I mean, we're looking at this in abstract terms right now it, it, regarding theory as theory is applied applied theory let's say so the 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 final point really is is what we have to have to address which is unfortunately the final point is if some controls i.e. state or government controls are not instituted to control immigrants to assimilate them or do or do something then it seems like he's saying you run the risk of going in that having that as a result the end result would be you could potentially get wiped out and, and that's with why a, with a marketplace in protection you'll have better protection services than you currently have today so if the uh, the police in their cars are enough to scare away the invading hordes of killers uh then the market protection services will uh, be more than sufficient let's go to colin in washington you're on free talk live we can continue the email in a bit colin you're on free talk live Hey, uh, thanks for thanks for taking calls. Go ahead, sir. What's on your mind? Hey, um, well, I I just wanted to, uh, well, I guess two things. First, uh, in, in the comparison between the immigration today and uh, the in, invasion of the Americas, is kind of ludicrous, just because of the the same like susceptibility to to disease doesn't <laughs> like it doesn't apply to the people that live in the Americas now. You know what I mean? Well, there's, there's one of the concerns, one of the things that's been uh, what I feel are probably red herrings that's been trotted out up to this point is disease-resistant tuberculosis. That uh, there's a lot of that down there below south of the border, and they're bringing it up here. They've also said things like leprosy, so they are attempting to use this uh, this particular bugbear to to scare people. Colin, I know you said you had a second point, so hang on, we'll bring you back. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. We'll also continue with this uh, this guy's email. Maybe you're right, Mark. Maybe it doesn't get as paranoid later on, but it certainly sounded pretty paranoid in the beginning. 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and this is Free Talk Live. You can listen to Free Talk Live on the radio via podcast, the webcam, and our live streams at freetalklive.com. Not enough options? Now you can listen to Free Talk Live from any phone, anywhere. Add this number to your phone, 760-569-7752. It's a long-distance call, so make sure you're familiar with your phone's calling plan. The Free Talk Live listen lines are airing the latest episode of Free Talk Live 24 hours a day, including our live shows. Call 760-569-7752. That's 760-569-7752. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want. Dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line tonight. It's Ian with you. And Guard. And Mark. And you can join us on our website. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features are totally free, so enjoy those. And if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, you can shop with us at Amazon.freetalklive.com. You just enter Amazon through that link, and Free Talk Live will get a percentage 
of your purchase. Actually, it's more than 1%. It's more like 7 or 8%. Uh, so head on over to Amazon.freetalklive.com, although I think it's only 4% on electronic devices. There's just not as much of a margin there for Amazon. Anyway, Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get your shopping done. When it comes to personal protection, what do top police, military, and civilian self-defense instructors get for themselves, their families, and recommend for you? It's the Tiger Light non-lethal defense system. You can go check it out at tiger.freetalklive.com. There is a special rate there at tiger.freetalklive.com for our listeners. I have one. Uh, Ian has one, and they're an awesome, awesome little device. It's a, a combination flashlight and uh, pepper spray all in one, and you have it with you when you need it, in your hand, ready to go, unlike Every other weapon out there. And it has the stopping power of a handgun at close range. Tiger.freetalklive.com. All right. We continue here. Uh, Colin is on the line with us in Washington talking about an email that is suggesting that if there were, uh, were possibly open borders in this country and people were able to come here freely, as a true free, free country should be, uh, that there could be a horde of people coming here with the intent to slaughter Americans. Now, he doesn't use the, the ter- that terminology in his emails. He just kind of suggests that well, the, the same thing could happen to us as happened to the American Indians. And so Colin was uh, on, the, on the line with us here commentating on that. Go ahead with your thoughts, Colin. You know, I'd, I'd just like to say again that really the, I mean, seems the main, like pretty, pretty much the most important factor in why it was so easy to colonize the Americas was just because they had, the Europeans had disease resistance on their side. They also like, had they, guns, they too. Didn't, didn't, that, didn't, didn't the fact they had guns help? Yeah, but they, they killed like 60 to 80 percent, like up to like 90 percent of some tribes were dead before they ever even saw Europeans. Just and because. let's not forget the uh, the very powerful fire water and uh, sugar were both uh, things that, uh, you know, that, yeah. that they'd never experienced before and didn't have, uh, you know, d- didn't really understand how to deal with. It's like the Australian aboriginals. I mean, the, the two stories are very analogous. And when I was in Australia, I, I was looking forward very much to seeing and, and meeting some of the Aboriginal guys to find out more about them, and uh, I found out I was I was really sort of shocked to find that uh, most of them were uh, homeless guys out on the streets in Brisbane, and it was uh, pretty sad until I got way out in the bush. And then it was a different matter. But you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of there's so many other there are so many factors involved here, and so many questions that pop up regarding the American Indians and uh, the the what happened to them at the hands of the Western. Uh, so-called civilized peoples, uh, you say, okay, they they had technology, they had firearms, they had these types of things that the Indians didn't have. Uh, Were those developments uh, caused by some state organization? And if they weren't, uh, you know, what what brought these sorts of things about? Um, the Indians didn't have these sorts of things. Is that Does that show that laissez-faire would not develop the weapons of warfare that would be required to be able to address some other invading force? And and so you, you, you're, we're, we're sort of mixing an immigration concept here with a question about can laissez-faire combat – and address the, the the threats that are posed by organized, top-down, coercive state agencies. What do you say to that, Greg? Well, uh, the Indian the Indian problem is one that has so many things mixed into it because we're looking at very different cultures, and I can't really answer the question of if the Indians had developed in some other way. It's it's very it's difficult for me. I would have to probably do a little more research on that and do more reading on it and see what people like Rothbard and others might have written and, and maybe hey, well, some... Uh, 
Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you there, but uh, yeah. the other the other point I came over to make is I'm in the, I'm the Native American Studies program yeah. at the, the college here in Olympia. Yeah, and <clears throat> I like I don't know I don't know if any of you guys are very familiar with Native American political theory because it it does exist. <laughs> okay. And no, we're not. <laughs> yeah. And it's but there there's I don't know chiefly there's there's a book that uh, we read in uh, my program this year by a guy named Bayage Alfred who's a he's a Ganawage Mohawk uh-huh. from. Uh, from on, it's from Ontario. The reservation straddles the U.S. Canadian border and stuff. Yeah. But, well, you would, he would, I'm sure he considers himself an enemy of capitalism and, and such. But the the whole political theory that they have, and it's and it's an ancient like political political doctrine, is really is very individualist and very. I mean, there's no there's no state structure at all. It's very anti-state. And I don't. And just seeing as how. Native American communities, which still exist, I don't know. Do you, do you guys even have Indian reservations in New Hampshire? There's not a single one in New Hampshire. The uh, the Abernathy were so dis- destroyed um, that they just don't they just don't exist any longer. Mm. There's some people uh, that claim to be Abernathy that look a lot like white people um, that uh, you know are trying to get uh, you know named Abernathy. But I don't know how in the world you would uh, you you would prove that. I mean, you know, there's there's no one yeah, to test in order to say that you are in fact Abernathy. Ridiculous, but over I mean over here in the West we still got uh, a lot of reservations and stuff, and they they already have direct dealings with the federal government. They're sort of officially autonomous, you know. They're called domestic dependent nations. Yes, the idea. But uh, I mean, for the whole secession idea, I mean those are the whole you know like the thing with Pine Ridge back in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, it's a great place to start because their their tradition of individual individuality, government by consensus, like you know. Uh, I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Well, I'm going to leave that one to Russell Means. Um, you know, like, it would be really... Uh, disin- I, I agree with you that uh, that Indian nations are ripe for secession. However, they have some additional problems, which are most of them are self-contained inside of a nation, and that's difficult to deal with. Secondly, um, they uh, also... You know, I, like I'm, I'm a white guy. No one's gonna. I, I can't lie about having Indian blood. And so if I go in there and say, "All right, let's go and secede. Come on, fellas, follow me." Like that's just, it's just disingenuous and stupid. It's as dumb as me going down to Haiti and telling, leading them to, uh, to, to freedom. Well, well and- I, I, I don't know. I think you might be be surprised the, uh, the, the pension for, for compromise that the Indians have these days. Right, a lot of them are receiving funds from the government. I remember there right. was a, a that's a big issue there. There was welfare uh, recipients. Yeah, the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs or Bureau of uh, Land Management or something like that. There is an actual Bureau of Indian yeah. Affairs, I think. And there was a story from the turn of the uh, the, orig- the, the, the the around 2000 that John Stossel did. John Stossel goes to Washington when he was working back at ABC News, uh, and he took a look at a couple of different Indian reservations. One of them. I don't know how they did it, but they essentially they rejected the federal government's help, and all of a sudden they started to flourish. So without the uh, but when the, they, uh, when was they, in Florida, I'm sorry, was it in Florida? I am not. I'm not positive. It's been years since I've seen it, but it was. Uh, it's worth a watch if anybody can pull it up online or wherever you can find it. Uh, John Stossel goes to Washington. In the in the video, he compares different situations: one with government involvement, another without. So he looks at an airport that doesn't have a government owner, and he looks at an airport that does. And you know, he compares the difference between the two. And he also looks at Indian uh, res- Indian reservations where one of them has thrown off the yokes of the the federal government's requirements and their mandates and 
basically said, look, we don't want your money anymore. We're going to just do it ourselves. And it was at that point that all of a sudden the the shacks started to uh, be turned into real homes. Uh, the drunks stopped just being everywhere, just littering themselves around the street. I mean, it literally was a night and day comparison and incredibly persuasive. So I highly recommend that uh, that anybody who's, who's particularly interested in things Indian in regards to the federal government take a look at that John Stossel special because for me it was a real shocking uh, comparison. Like, I mean, it, it was an S-hole. Uh, these places, these Indian reservations are S-holes and until they get out from under the thumb of the federal government, which is my understanding most of them have not done. Yeah, um, yeah, one of the worst things too is that they don't. The Indians don't own the land that they live on. It's owned by the federal government and then entrusted to them. Mm. So they can't they can't use it as collateral for a loan or anything. They don't. Like there's really all of the opportunities that they would have for yeah. So take your welfare check and buy some alcohol. I mean that's what they do. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, make the state some money as well. Now, I just wanted to to get your feedback while you're with us uh, quickly because, you know, I look at this question on the email and and it does open up a lot of avenues for exploration, especially for those of us who do believe in laissez-faire and uh, those of us who do do oppose the uh, abstract notion of the state on principle and for economic reasons. And um, what fascinates me is that you you were we are often told that there are no examples of societies that have existed without government which is false um, there there were as Murray Rothbard has pointed out for uh, uh, nearly a thousand years in Irish history uh, they had a clan system that wasn't super violent and repelled invaders and accepted newcomers uh, in Ireland, the Viking Age, uh, the uh, Viking Age Icelandic people uh, living in uh, in Iceland uh, existed for 500 years before they moved out because of environmental reasons. It got, got too cold. So the Indian question is a, a great one. I'd like to read more about that. Tell you what, Colin, thank you for the call. I appreciate hearing from you. I'm going to dig around. Maybe I can find a clip from the John Stossel thing. Maybe. We'll see. Hour number three is on the way. Either way, we'll take your calls about whatever's on your mind. 1-800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live. How long can you hold your breath? (sighs) Not long. After air, water is the most critical factor for life. There are dozens of toxic substances in tap water, even pharmaceutical drugs that city processing can't remove. Sadly, most bottled water isn't much better. The chemicals in the bottles themselves are a serious health concern and a huge environmental problem. Filtering your own drinking water is the logical answer. You'll have a much better quality of water and save a bunch of money, too. Aquasana filters are thorough and more affordable per gallon than even pitcher-type filters. Aquasana is consistently voted the best choice by Consumers Digest. The filters are easy to use and install. Call 866-NO-BOTTLE to order or link online through freetalklive.com. If you'd like a 20% discount, and who wouldn't, when ordering online, use the discount code FTL. Again, that's FTL. Or call toll-free 866-NO-BOTTLE and tell them we sent you to get a great discount on all Aquasana products. Drink smart, 1-866-NO-BOTTLE. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves. Dial in toll-free at 1-800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231, as we launch here into the third hour of the program tonight. It's Ian with you. And Guard. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features, they're free, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. 
for those just tuning in, last hour we started on an email, and I, I, maybe we'll get a chance to uh, to continue some more of it here, but it sparked an interesting conversation. And uh, the email was in reference to open borders and uh, kind of the liberty-oriented idea of allowing people who actually want to make a better life for themselves come here in order to do that. The suggestion was that, well, you know, look at what happened the last time people just came in here willy-nilly into this country or the Indians got killed. And uh, so that led to a conversation about how it's pretty absurd to believe that some immigrants coming here are going to somehow do anything that resembles what the uh, the white man did to the Indians hundreds of years ago. Um, and Guard, as you and I were talking about, if if uh, if the government's existence is what's holding back the hordes of killers uh, from coming here then surely the uh, the protective services that will be available in the free marketplace will do a better job of holding back these you know these invisible killers that are for whatever reason not coming here and attempting to uh, voice their madness upon us so i i for one am not i'm not scared of the idea of uh, of immigrants coming here because it seems to me that the supermajority of them are just good folks that are looking to make a better life for themselves there are some that come to uh, leech off the welfare programs and sure some of them are gangsters but as we pointed out in our extended edition, uh, our show that we talked about on Saturday, we had a guest on the show and everything. He pointed out that it's absolutely absurd to believe that uh, Hispanic immigrants are in any way, shape, or form any more violent than the average white. Uh, well, it's not absurd. It is uh, contrary to the facts. He went yeah. through all the facts yeah. um, and you know compared uh, compared age group to age group, and in fact showed that Hispanics are no more violent, uh, more more likely to commit a violent crime. Hey. And I'd suggest that Hispanics are more likely to be gone after, to be prosecuted, yes. to be yeah. uh, suspected of violent crime. Just a guess, right? Like, I'm just speculating there. Right. That leads but me to say the they're fact more, is, more peaceful. The science says that they are not more likely to commit violent right. crime if you just go and look at the statistics. So the whole idea that the you know the Canadian hordes or the Mexican hordes are going to roll across the uh, the northern or southern borders or the Chinese hordes are going to roll across the the western border is pretty absurd. Uh, but we we then ended up talking about the American Indians in a little more detail as far as what happened to them and and what's happening to them now is where uh, where we went to and I brought up something that I'd brought up on the past on this show and I always just kind of referenced it. I've never actually managed to find the clips uh, because. In, it's my understanding in the past they didn't exist on the internet, but thankfully now with the advent of all the video sharing services, uh, somebody has taken the time to digitize John Stossel's uh, John Stossel Goes to Washington. It's something that's probably about a decade old now, but that doesn't make the information contained within any less relevant. So let me jump right into it here. Often the more the government helps, the worse things get. Look at what they did to the first Americans. He put us in a little cage here. Call it reservation. Chief Red Cloud, the leader of the Lakota Sioux tribe of Pine Ridge, South Dakota. The Sioux have been herded and controlled by the government for over a hundred years. The result? This is now the poorest county in America. Unemployment's about 80%. People live on government checks. Every month they receive some type of handout from the federal government. So our people become lazy and they don't want to work. With nothing to do, many just drink. I've been under the supervision of the federal government for a long time. You know? They messed us up, man. They messed us, man. 
17-year-old Russell Blacksmith would like to help his tribe improve their lives. Now, you can hear the despair in these people's voices, but you can't see the footage of the basically S-hole town uh, that these people are living in. It's just yeah, decrepit. It's incredible. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can hardly believe that it's going on in America. He wants to be chief someday, but he's not optimistic. The federal government turned us into a concentration camp. We sit back and just live off of government handout. It's been a trap. We need to stand on our own two feet. We have the least life expectancy, less than Guatemala, less than Bolivia, Brazil. Hardly anyone reaches 65 anymore. Activist Russell Means blames the Interior Department's Bureau of Indian Affairs, the agency that claims to help Indians by planning their lives. We cannot make a plan or a decision without the express consent of the Secretary of Interior. We submit anywhere from two to five year economic plans. Does that sound like the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union and their economic, failed economic plans? Most of the crimes against the Indians were that of the government. The government goes in and ruins their lives and it comes up and says, hey, you need us. That's uh, kind of what Harry Brown always said when he was uh, running for uh, the Libertarian Party presidential candidacy back in 1996 and 2000. He, one of his famous lines is that it's uh, only the government that breaks your leg, hands you a crutch, <laughs> and says, boy, it sure is a good thing we're here, huh? Yeah, yeah. Great you line. need us. Come on in. Come on By in. contrast, look what's happened when a tribe managed to get some freedom from government control. We decided that we're going to have to do something for ourselves. Philip Martin is chief of the Choctaw tribe. The government put the Choctaw on a reservation in Mississippi, and for years they lived much like the Sioux. Tuberculosis was rampant. Uh, infant mortality was horrible. Babies were, were coming into hospitals, not being cared for, and going home and returning and dying in mother's arms. But then the Choctaw petitioned Congress to give them special concessions that would allow them to try new things without having to go through so much red tape. For the first time, we're able to make some changes. Today, 20 years later, they have factories that generate hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. One makes stereo speakers. Another, wiring for cars. Another makes plastic this? utensils for yeah. McDonald's. I mean, it's absolutely Every incredible. A little, little bit of freedom goes a long way. You know, I mean, they tell the government to take their money and shove it, that they're stinking little tiny itty-bitty welfare checks that everybody was relying on there in order to have enough to live in tin shacks and uh, drink their lives away, mm-hmm. just wasn't worth what they were getting. Um, the the disease that was running rampant and all that, uh, you know, and, and the poverty and all that other stuff, and now saying that they're going to, you know, take it, Take it. You you can have it. Suddenly they have what what is it? Fifteen years later? Oh, it was twenty years, and that this was about a decade old. This video. So so yeah, tw- in twenty, 20 years, years, everything changed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, incredible. It's incredible. It's yeah. uh, I, why why couldn't Lyndon Johnson's program work that well? You well, you look at things like uh, Poland. You know, Poland quickest turnaround, strongest turnaround after the Soviets pulled out of there. Uh, these other places where they had these slow weaning off of the, the the Soviet system, the Sovietized socialist communist system, they took a lot longer to come back. Uh, and the reason is if you get these people off the, the government teat, they have an incentive to control their own lives and they recognize the advantages of it. It, it is just phenomenal. You look at, for example, uh, look at the the lesson from uh, the early early pilgrims and the thanks first Thanksgiving. Mm, yeah. You know, they didn't have control of their own lives and they were starving. There was no incentive for them to do exactly. better. Yep, so, starving in the most abundant land they've yeah, ever seen. That's amazing. Yeah. So let me continue here. 
uh, with uh, John Stoss. Every Indian who wants a job has one. They've even hired thousands of non-Indians from off the reservation. They are hiring <laughs> the white people yeah. that uh, you know that, that are on the government that would otherwise be on the government dole yeah. being handed. I mean, you know, it just goes to show it's so incredible. As is typical, as we've been saying here on this show, is one of the economic. I don't know what all the economic reasons are for it. But it's my understanding that when you have a free market, that there are always more jobs than there are people to fill those jobs. Guard, what's the reason for that? I mean, I've heard that one so many times, but I don't know what the, the reason for it is. But could you restate that? That there are always more jobs than there are people to fill them. There, If, if you have true freedom. Oh, well, I, I think part of, part of that is uh, it's it's just the, the information problem and the fact that it's very difficult to place people who are appropriate in the jobs for the jobs that are needed. And in many cases, people don't really incentivize themselves to get out there and find these things. They think, oh, I'm going to only shoot for this. I'm going to only shoot for that. And so, for example, I give you a great example. My dad, I was so proud of my dad. My dad lost his job uh, at a certain point. He was in his 60s. He went to work he went from the white collar world. He went to work fixing engines for Sears for like six months while he was because some people are just resistant to going out there. And of course, you get the government dole. They've already taken their unemployment money from them. So why not take a little time off? Look around. The toll free number here it's is eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. John Stossel confronts one of the head bureaucrats here in moments. We'll share that with you as well. Coming up, free talk live. Have you been thinking about starting a website? I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a worldwide leader for web hosting, and they make it easy to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and templates. Use the coupon code FTL, that's FTL is in Free Talk Live, and sign up at HostGator.com to receive your first month completely free. Whether you want a personal blog or a complete e-commerce business website, let the experts at HostGator.com host you. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves. Dial in toll-free, 800-259-9231. We're talking about the plight of the American Indian, and it is uh, really a plight based on the government's aggression against them. We'll come back to that in a moment. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. Our Shrine of Female listeners is brought to you by ManchesterBrewing.com. You can go there and see dozens of ladies that have taken the time to send in their validated photo or video showing they are indeed listeners of the program, head over to shrine.freetalklive.com. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. Uncovering the secrets and exposing the lies. That's what the readers of freedomsphoenix.com get every day. Readers of freedomsphoenix.com are constantly provided the detailed real news that lies between the lines of propaganda and the relationship that we all have with coercive governments. Go check out uh, freedomsphoenix.com and find out all of their... Um, you know, the news stories that they have there and get their up-to-the-minute up the updates uh, delivered to your e- email Andy box. Andy Hancock. So, yeah, guy. so, Guard, I don't know if I really understood your uh, your answer to my question earlier. There was a little yes. segment we've been playing, John Stossel, a, por- a portion of John Stossel goes to Washington where he talks about uh, how one American Indian community, which is essentially ruled over by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, is just listless and uh, just a trash trash heap, awful place to live, people drunk everywhere, shacks, terrible and then there's another Indian reservation that has managed to get out from underneath the thumb to some extent of the BIA. And as a result, they had all this development, new businesses opening up, factories, making products. And then they point out that at one point that uh, every Indian who wants a job has one. In fact, there's so many jobs that have been created there that they're even hiring you know, white people and other people from the, uh, the surrounding areas because, right. well, they've, they've made more jobs and they have Indians to fill the jobs. <laughs> 
And so that's where I that kind of remind well, me of a principle we were talking about, or what I believe to be a principle, uh, over the weekend. But I never remember where I've seen this before, and I'm not an economist. Uh, and it's one of the, the things I like to bring up in response to the paranoid kind of uh, th- theory that the xenophobes had, the idea that they're going to come take our jobs. And I, and I know that one of the things that happens when new people come into the country is they bring new demand as well as new supply. So I think that's a factor in that they're, you know, the, the uh, immigrants are looking to uh, you know purchase products and services and they have to live somewhere and all this so so Absolutely. they're consuming as they're also providing a supply for jobs and things like that yeah so I think yeah. that's a factor in why there are always more jobs in a true free market there are always more jobs and there are people who could possibly fill them but I don't really know what the economic uh, reasoning is for that. I'm not really certain on that. Well, you know, you could go super, super in-depth into the whole division of labor thing and so on. Just to, to mention something that bolsters what you're talking about, there was a study done in Texas that showed that immigrants actually benefited the economy greatly. Uh, illegal immigrants as well. Uh, people who are the undocumented illegal immigrants. Um, but the the question of whether or not immigrants help or hurt an economy is actually, in a, in a microcosm, it's sort of uh, sort of typified in that situation with the Indians there. They're bringing in people from outside the Indian reservations, the so-called white Americans from outside the reservations. Immigrant workers. Almost. They're immigrant workers from yep. the flip side. So it's all flipped over. But uh, I wrote a piece for the Foundation for Economic Education a while back uh, about – um, why immigration is a good thing, open borders and free immigration, economically speaking. And and it was brought up by this guy who is um, uh, typically quoted by the conservative talk radio people, Mark Krikorian. And this is a case where even Rush Limbaugh quoted him and he, and he made a mistake, uh, where uh, it the idea is that first um, immigrants will – replace the native living people, not Native Americans, but the native living people in America, U.S. citizens per se, and take their jobs because they're lower wage labor. And that's bad. Well, the entire point of a productive economy is to get what you want to get for less. Mm -hmm. That dynamic, when applied to immigration, it's a good thing to bring in immigrants, just like it's a good thing to develop a machine that allows you to get more for less effort. Right. There were people back in the days that were saying the machines are going to take our jobs. Exactly. And people that said that women shouldn't be in the marketplace to work because they'll take our jobs. Black people shouldn't be on the marketplace to work because they'll take our jobs. I mean, this this argument has been. Well, I mean, these these were Americans talking about Americans. Yes. These arguments have been in place in order to keep um, you know, social groups down throughout the ages. They're spurious and they're bigoted then, and they're spurious and they're bigoted now. So uh-huh. what happens, guard, when uh, the, the the immigrants come in? I mean, well, prices go, the go first, down. Right? First lesson to to be derived is I started to think to myself, no, that doesn't make any sense because if you can get what you want to get for less, for example, strawberries or lettuce or shrimp down in Texas or a house coast, or a house or whatever it is, you'll have money left over. Why do you want to not have money left over? That doesn't help a productive economy. That doesn't raise your standard of living when you have to pay for more, the essentials in life. So the idea runs counter to logic. Oh, stop these people from doing the work. Uh, Ben Powell, a friend of Jason Osborne's, great guy. He's down in Boston, uh, teaches economics, speaks at FEE. Um, Really, really interesting guy. Does stuff for the Independent Institute. Wrote a fascinating book, um, How How Poor Nations Grow Rich. Uh, Actually, he edited it. Ben brings up a great example. He goes, look, when I when I buy Georgia peaches 
Am I am I somehow should I buy Massachusetts peaches that are more expensive and only buy those? Are I won't have money left over. Massachusetts? Yeah, do I have a trade deficit with you when I buy your services to clean my driveway? Because mm-hmm. no, yeah, and so what happens is. If you can get your services for less, you have money left over. That money then can be used by other people who are thirsting for low-interest money, real money, not bogus, made-up low-interest money from the government, but money that they can then use. You can spend it on another product. And this dynamic... Or open a business if you've got enough Exactly. And they can open a business. And this dynamic then creates its own demand for new employees. So I started to look into it and I started to say, are the native workers who are here displaced... Yes, perhaps they are, but are they unemployed? Or do they actually go into other endeavors that are as productive for them or more or productive? More so. Exactly. And what I found was I started to try to look into it because I, I wanted to correlate periods of high immigration to unemployment rates, right? And what I what I found was other people had already done it. Not only other people, but one guy in particular, Julian Simon, one of the great libertarian thinkers of the past like 50 years, did a macro study for the Cato Institute a number of years ago where they looked at five or six other studies, as many studies as they could find, on the history of immigration and periods of unemployment. And he found that there were not increases on unemployment. In fact, the periods when you had high immigration saw great increases in productivity and standards of living. And How many times have you had somebody that you know or maybe you yourself get laid off from a job and end up somewhere better? You know, yeah. they, they, a lot of times freak out, my gosh, this is terrible, this has happened to me. But then down the line, they end up getting a new gig and it's working out better for them. They're getting paid more. It's just a more comfortable uh, opportunity. Yeah. But they yeah. wouldn't have necessarily gone for that if they hadn't have lost their job in the first place. I'm not saying that happens all the time, but it sure know. has happened yeah. more often than I've ever noticed the other, uh, the, other the reverse. Oh, you're absolutely right. And and the, now there's a substrata to this, which I just want to mention, which is that some people like this guy, Krikorian, when I wrote this article, it was uh, 2004. Uh, for FEE. You can find it at their website. Uh, He argued that, well, if we restrict that low-wage labor, then that will force employers to come up with new developments and new technology that will actually make them more efficient. It's like, you know what? Here's the deal. Let the owner of the company decide how most efficiently to spend his money. Don't have government policy dictate to him, you know what? You can't hire somebody. You're going to have to work on a get a machine to do this and develop it. Let him decide. Exactly, and that's the difference with what happened with the uh, American Indians in this uh, one tribe where they were allowed to decide how to run their own land. All of a sudden, the uh, economy started booming, as we've been talking about here. We'll get back to John Stossel here in a moment. Also, take your calls as well about what you want. 800-259-9231. Free Talk Live. On Free Talk Live, we talk about investing in gold and silver as a hedge against inflation, investment, and barter currency. We've teamed up with Midas Resources to offer you some great rates on some hand-picked gold and silver pieces. U.S. Eagles, British Sovereigns, 20 Francs, Lakota Nation Silver Rounds, Montana Silver Reserves, and Walking Liberty Halves. Call 877-857-9938 or go to gold.freetalklive.com. The shipping is the same for one as it is for 20, so try to get as many as you can all at once. Gold.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Dial in toll-free, 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Guard. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are free, so enjoy those, including various different ways to be kept up to date with the show. 
You can go to news.freetalklive.com. We list uh, different ways for you to get involved in uh, finding out what's up with the, with Free Talk Live. You can go to our updates list, which are emails that will be sent out to you. Uh, there's our Twitter account, also Facebook page. These are different ways for you to be ke- uh, keeping in touch with Free Talk Live. Go to news.freetalklive.com. Sign up for one, sign up for all three, whatever you want. News.freetalklive.com. Though I must say the updates list is the only way you'll be able to win prizes. Uh, the Twitter and the Facebook, we don't do the prize giveaways there because... Not everybody sees the posts to Twitter and Facebook, whereas everybody gets the emails when those go out. So you can go and sign up at news.freetalklive.com. And if you're looking for gold and or, and or silver, go to gold.freetalklive.com or silver.freetalklive.com. We have some great rates on some uh, hand-picked coins over there, ones that uh, you can get to basically have gold and silver in your hand. They're not collector's items, although they do have some numismatic value to them. I've picked these for the intent of uh, our listeners to be able to get gold and silver in their hands, either as an investment, a hedge against inflation, or barter currency, whatever the situation may bring. And if you are the kind of person who's not very good at saving, uh, well, we've set up something with – with Midas Resources to be able to allow you to every paycheck, you pay a little bit on um, some gold and silver, and then it'll be delivered to you. Once you've paid it off, call 877-857-9938. That's 877-857-9938. Ask for the layaway plan and uh, put 20 or 25 coins in uh, in layaway because that's the best shipping rate. And pay them off over time, 877-857-9938, gold.freetalklive.com. All right, let's continue here, uh, taking your phone calls, talking about the economics of immigration and uh, the American Indians and how a little bit of freedom goes a long way. Uh, let's go to John, listening in New York. John, you're on Free Talk Live. Good evening, gentlemen. John, what's on your mind tonight? Well, first off, um, I want to say I've just become a recent listener. I just started listening about a couple of weeks ago, back Welcome. when you guys had a call in from Jeff Tucker from Mises.org. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I found out about your site through Facebook. Um, just want to say thank you guys, and you guys are doing an awesome job, and I do nothing but look up to you guys. Thanks, John. What's on your mind tonight? Oh, gee, I've had so many different uh, conversations with uh, Facebook people over immigration. It's kind of funny. But... uh one of the things I'm definitely an advocate for is uh, open borders. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people talk about their, I don't know, their objections to the idea that they'll flood our economy or, or burden our economy with, uh, you know, or steal jobs or something along those lines. And what I realized from having studied a little bit of economics is that um, the reason they're coming in here in the first place is because there's that opportunity. People go where the money is. And um, basically... In an open borders environment, you have a situation where people will go where the opportunities are. That's basically the function of, of a market economy in the first place. Mm-hmm. So once you have once you have a situation where either immigration is on the way down or people are trying to emigrate, then you know you've got a financial problem. Mm-hmm. You know you've got an, an economic problem. You know you've got a problem with your government. Absolutely right. In fact, I pointed out before that uh, the, the only way they can ever really stop immigration to this country is to create such a total police state that it's become such a crap hole uh, that they wouldn't want to leave the countries from which uh, they originate. Yeah. Well, they certainly did a good job uh, electing Mr. Obama. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, whether it's Bush or Obama, they've all been uh, taking the country down uh, the, you know, the toilet. And the more... Well, realize- I've, hmm? I've read in some recent statistics that, you know, the, the, the flow of immigration has been waning over the last few years, certainly over the last three or four. 
So that certainly spans both both uh, both presidents. Yeah, with the downturn in the economy and uh, the increase in security with right. the ICE people, there are Police stories did. of yeah, the uh, raids, strawberry the fields going fallow. I mentioned the uh, shrimpers off the coast of Texas. Uh, there are some shrimpers who've just gone completely out of business. The cost of shrimp went up dramatically because of the actions of ICE, uh, because of the uh, because of the downturn in the economy. Last year, my friend, we had a, 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 a sound like a. I sound like uh, you know some politician. My friends, like John McCain. Mm-hmm. Um, but last year we had a uh, an ice an ice storm here, and they couldn't get the power converters up here to New England to replace the other the, the other fuse box things that they need uh, all over the state in in sufficient quantities because the the warehouse the manufacturing plant I should say that makes them had had been busted just a few weeks before by the feds. John, any That's other thoughts? Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, gee. If you want to keep me on the line. Um, well, no, not really, but I'm giving you the opportunity to throw something else out there. <laughs> oh, I had one thing. Uh, you had a, you had a caller a few nights ago um, that was talking about um, the 9-11 truth and one conspiracy after another. Yeah. I've got, I got a simple question about that. Um, you know, we, we hear about, you know, military secrets that happened 20, 30 years ago. We hear about military secrets or international conspiracies here and there that happen to be truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you aware of any conspiracies that managed to survive, you know, multiple generations for hundreds of years? Well, I, don't I know, know that people any. are still interested today in this, the Kennedy assassination, for instance. Uh, in fact, there was even some sort of deathbed uh, admission a while back about the I CIA. heard something about the uh, the Pearl Harbor thing that, in fact, F- FDR knew about it. But, uh, but I no, even heard one about, isn't it the, the Hood or uh, the Iowa? Which one was the one that was uh, b- bombed in, uh, in Cuba? Uh, I don't know. That the, uh, the Teddy Roosevelt rode in there with the Rough Riders. Well, to I'm avenge. not sure about the question. Do you mean conspiracies that have been shown to have been conspiracies for a long time or conspiracy theories? Theories that have just, lasted. Just, I'm just talking about scandals in general. It's difficult to keep that information tight. It's, diff- it's difficult to keep that information beyond a generation at most two. Right, you know, I have trouble. Yeah, and what I are have, revelations? I mean, there have been some revelations about some of these conspiracies. I mean, for instance, the Gulf of Tonkin Gulf is a great Tonkin. example. Yeah. Right, Gulf of Tonkin's blown wide out in the open, and where's the outrage? Where's the? Uh, I mean, the, the 9/11 truthers believe that if they can just convince people that what they're saying is true, that all of a sudden uh, everything's going to change. And I haven't seen any evidence of that, even with the conspiracies that have uh, become fact. So I, I just don't see it happening. I agree with you. And, and John, thanks for the call tonight. We got to get to Paul in uh, California. Paul, you're on Free Talk Live on the Amp Line. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Well, Ian, you were talking about kind of the, the basic economic principle, uh, and you weren't sure. And I think I think what you're maybe looking for is the law of scarcity. What that means is that people will always want more stuff. So no matter how much stuff they have, if you lower the price enough, no, it's not going to be a situation where people say nope. I don't want anything else at any price. So no matter what, people want more stuff. And that means that uh, you'll always in the long term have full employment without outside interference. Um, And it also means that, you know, immigration is not a problem, even if you don't. And the issue is not that they bring demand also. Even if we had a bunch of immigrants who sent all their money, say, back to Mexico or wherever they're from, uh, what that would do is that would lower the price of the goods that you want to buy, so you'd end up you know, it would wash out anyway. So if the immigrants bring as much demand as they supply, then you have no change in prices and no change in employment. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody just stays employed. Everybody, all the prices stay the same. If they say somehow were magical beings that didn't consume anything at all, you'd have more production and they would be consuming less. So the prices would fall and wages would fall. Yeah. So you'd end up basically having a wash. So, you know, you can't, if you want to really, I think, cut through the, the BS and understand an economy, the best thing to do is just ignore the money and look at the amount that is being produced. Because a, a healthy economy produces a lot, and the more goods you have to go around, the richer everybody is. Yeah, it's excellent. It's absolutely true. This law of scarcity um, works, and it worked in my life. I was, uh, rec- you know, yesterday, I think it was, we were at, at Target uh, doing the family shopping thing. And, and you know, I've been looking at this one video game. It's uh, the Marvel Ultimates Alliance or something like that, too, and it's out. And it's 20 bucks uh, at the store. But I saw it on the in the rack, and it was at $13. I'm like, I must have this now. But mm-hmm. I've been kind of, you know, flirting with it for mm-hmm. 20 bucks. I saw it at 30 and I was going to get it, uh, you know, and I want it, but I, and I knew I I'd get it some point in the future, but at thirteen dollars, I had to have it. Turns out I was in the wrong rack, but, um, <laughs> but I knew that. I, I now know what my price is for it. Paul, thank you for the call tonight. We appreciate hearing from you. More coming up here. Maybe time for your calls. In fact, we might even go to an extended edition tonight here. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. Take control of the airwaves. Help Free Talk Live via the AMP program for just $3 per month, and you'll get access to exclusive call-in lines, a chat room, and a forum at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. Only moments remain. Enough time, perhaps, for your call at 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231 tonight. It's Ian with you. And Gart. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are free, so enjoy those on us. And those features include various different ways to listen in to the show. You can go to listen.freetalklive.com, access our 24-hour live streams, our webcam, our listen lines. It's all there and it's all free at listen.freetalklive.com. We started the hour out uh, with a clip from John Stossel Goes to Washington. It's a fairly old, uh, it's about a decade old at this point, uh, ABC News presentation where he does some really great uh, comparisons between uh, something where government is involved and something where government is no longer involved or is not involved. So one of the comparisons he makes is between an Indian reservation that is uh, essentially like many Indian reservations ruled over by the Bureau of Indian Affairs and then another Indian reservation that has managed to get out from underneath most of the thumb of the Bureau. It doesn't sound like it's completely out, but more so than other uh, Indian reservations. And so therefore there's all this economic uh, blooming, this blossoming that's happening where jobs are being created, factories are uh, employing people and People are no longer drunk and listless in the streets. It's just a complete change, a complete 180-degree change from what things were like. And I wanted to continue that audio here, make sure we get it out before the end of the radio show tonight. And, Mark, you had an email that we started last hour. We may have to finish that up in an extended edition, Internet only. We'll talk about that in a bit. But let me just continue with John Stossel. So this is the point at which... He's talking about some of the changes that have happened in uh, the Indian reservation that have gotten out from the Bureau of Indian Affairs as compared to the other ones where people are just taking welfare checks, buying alcohol, and just living in an S-hole. Let me continue with the audio. They've even hired thousands of non-Indians from off the reservation. They've built their own schools and hospitals, and they've built a thousand new homes. I think if my grandparents were still living today, they would be so astonished at what all has happened and how much it's changed. Makes you wonder, how does the Interior Department get away with it? Charged with helping Indians and given tax money to spend billions on them, they created the poorest people in America. 
but they still tell the world we're taking care of our poor little Indians. The Bureau of Indian Affairs can't even keep track of the Indians' money. More than $2 billion of it is unaccounted for. Yet no one is even reprimanded. No one's indicted. No one's demoted. No one is fired. No one is even named. Just more billions lost in the bureaucracy. And where might the money be? I wanted to ask then-Secretary of the Interior, Bruce Babbitt. He agreed to an interview, and his staff had to set up our camera gear in his conference room. But when Babbitt arrived, he seemed to change his mind. I'm not sure why I'm here. I mean, you know, another, another expose. It's all in a day's business, I understand. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's have at it. Okay. But before I could ask him anything, he decided he didn't want to talk. I'm going to fire whoever scheduled this interview. <laughs> I love that part. Why? That just tickles me. <laughs> and he was serious. He wasn't well, even joking. Well, oh, yeah. Well, what's, what's the name of the show? Uh, we haven't titled it yet. Oh, okay. It's probably... Uh, okay. The government is wasting your money. They are corrupt and incompetent. He should come over to this side of the mic and do the show. It'd be awesome. I wouldn't say corrupt. I would argue competent. Yeah, you'd say incompetent. Look, I'm getting less and less interested in doing this interview. I got to tell you, uh, I really am. Well, who are the incompetent guys who sure. scheduled for it? I'm not sure how I got here, but well, we, we told you it was a consumer report on government. Told yeah. your staff. Yeah. Look, I really don't want to do this. No. And that <laughs> was that. The interview was over. Now his department wants Congress to give more money to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Should they get it? Should they exist at all? There's no Bureau of Jewish Affairs. There's no Bureau of Irish Affairs. There's no Bureau of Black or African What's Affairs. They yeah. sit up there in Washington, D.C., and they legislate laws that affect us, when in fact they don't know what the heck's going on here. Hey, Ian, yep. can I just mention one thing? That guy, Bruce Babbitt, is also the guy who had to make a decision regarding an Indian casino, allowing an Indian casino somewhere in North Dakota, South Dakota. And the Indian tribe that donated a ton of money to the DNC that got permission to open a casino, while another Indian tribe that did not... They get screwed. That's how, how that it works. Happen? How strange. All right, we continue here. I just wanted to share the end of that story. I mean, you can't get answers out of these government bureaucrats. They they don't have to provide provide you with an interview. They have no obligation to uh, to do anything in regards to <laughs> defending themselves. I love the fact that Babbitt's sitting there going, some sort of expose on uh, government inefficiency and incompetence. I'm going to fire the guy who got me scheduled for this. It's like, well, dude, why didn't you know? How incompetent can the guy be who scheduled you, you pinhead? That just exposes it right there. Let's continue with Ryan listening in Virginia. You can bring up anything on Free Talk Live. Ryan, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, guys. Uh, I'm calling because I've been, I've been thinking about a fraud and uh, okay. the idea of, you know, the government or a governing body or whatever, uh, you know, quote-unquote authorities might be in place somewhere being able to prevent fraud. And uh, so I have a, a sort of a hypothetical I wanted to share with you guys. Go for it. All right. So, um, what if you have a, uh, a situation where somebody is selling a product that uh, is clearly fraudulent and uh, does very well at it and uh, fools a bunch of people for a very long time until finally somebody sues him and uh, you know gets their money back or gets restitution or however you like to go? Would it be reasonable for that society to then force that person to not sell that product anymore? Force them how? not sell the product anymore. Well, because they they clearly were selling a fraudulent product. So should they 
once somebody uh, you know wins a judgment in arbitration against them for fraud, why would you would need, it be reasonable? Well, why would you need to have someone force him to not sell? He wouldn't have people buying, would he? I well, mean, historically, we've had a lot of situations where that's happened. That right. People have not. You know, but, but what you're saying is yeah. But what you're saying here is uh, beware. You, you're sort of mixing your metaphors here too, because you, you've sort of you sort of applied a government template onto a, a. You're talking about a free market society that has a bad actor in it, right? A bad bad operator. So the bad operator is yep. finally discovered, right? And this society discovers what this guy is doing. Is is your your stipulation? Your hypothetical? Well, I'm saying that somebody somebody has figured out what's okay. going on with this guy. All right, All right. Yeah. that's different. Okay, so. Would it be appropriate? Well, that see, in, under a free market paradigm, they might already have come up with rules about that. You well, see, he may they, have a reputation rating that is absolutely ruined by that, and the right. people that would be doing business with him, for, for instance, wholesalers or buyers or whoever it is, uh, vendors, would check his reputation before they do business. If they decide not to, then that's their own fault. Buyer beware. You should be or a copy have, on emptor. Or he right. may have to do business in cash or something. Right. I'll give you an example. What I, what I think is one of the best examples to get to the nut of this question as to whether or not uh, because it's not it's not really a question. I know your question was, is it appropriate for the society to tell this man not to sell his product? The society will eventually pull away from this man's product with this repeated it's – it's a system of trial and error that tends to lead to the most efficient, most ethical, and most productive ends through the market. That's the way that works. So they would eventually shun this man, and he would not be able to do enough business to continue operating. And it is a trial and error thing, but those trial and errors tend to work off one another, and that's how things become more efficient. And the best example to show you, I think, is the fact that money existed without government at all. Money grew as an organic output from people's interactions. If there were bad actors and you needed some arbitrary entity to stop the bad actors from operating, money could never have developed without government. The fact that money through repeated trial and error developed and good actors shun the bad actors who might put out counterfeit bills that weren't backed by something, that shows you that you don't need government and some arbitrary body to do this. Does that make sense? Um, absolutely. But I was, what I was mostly thinking was, um, is it a, let's take a society that is maybe not completely a, a free market system. Mm-hmm. Um, that has some frameworks in place. You know, maybe something that would be halfway between where we are and, and you know, that quote-unquote ideal free market that okay. may or may not exist somewhere in the world. Do we feel that it would be ethical for an arbitrator to, as part of a fraud settlement, tell a person that they can't continue their business in the, in the fact that they've been doing it? I don't see why not. I mean, in the in in, in the circumstance you're talking about there, say say you've got uh, you know somebody who you know continues to you know open up a new shop under a different name, continuing to have the same problem over and over again, uh, doesn't you know apparently sees his uh, uh, you know whatever it costs for compensation to victims, uh, you know people that uh, he, he's treated poorly. Uh, as as cheaper than going on and doing something different, I don't see why it would be a problem if an arbitrator, you know, after you know two or three attempts, uh, is like, look, go on and try some other job. Well, typically when the uh, the idea of arbitration is proposed, uh, the suggestion is that both sides would agree to the arbitrator and therefore agree to whatever the terms of the arbitration are. So theoretically, if that guy agreed to that arbitrator, then he would also be binding himself to whatever the decision was. So I suppose what you're saying could happen in theory, although 
you know, what would prevent him from going to a different town and starting up his business there? Uh, would, the only thing that would prevent that would be some sort of intricate in, interlocking network of uh, essentially reputation, I would and think. That's still and be and the learning curve of these people. Hey, thank you, Ryan, for the call tonight. We appreciate hearing from you. Radio listeners, we are done and out, but Internet listeners, stay tuned. We're going to continue on an extended edition of Free Talk Live here in a moment. You can go to freetalklive.com and hear the rest of the show. That's right. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live, extended internet edition of the program, brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program. You can go to amp.freetalklive.com, help us get on more radio stations across the country. We should have gotten a brand new one over the weekend. I haven't confirmed that it worked out yet, but Evansville, Indiana is where we'll be popping up now on Saturday nights. And of course, it's our Free Talk Live amplifiers that make the expansion of the show possible. And this year has been a record year so far for expanding Free Talk Live I've got more stations in the hopper, uh, more are talking about coming on board, and you guys make it possible. So thank you to our free, uh, free Talk Live amplifiers who are contributing as little as 3 bucks a month to this program and getting perks like access to the Amp Only uh, call-in lines, the Amp Only forum, and the Amp Only podcast. Go to amp.freetalklive.com to get the full list of uh, details and get signed up with any major credit card or alternative options, PayPal and others, all at amp.freetalklive.com. Guards, sticking with us here for at least indeed, a little while. Indeed, Because yes. you do have a lengthy drive and you have to be somewhere by a certain point. And Ian, can I mention, uh, for those people who are interested, you know, we were talking about the immigration issue, and if they're interested in uh, some of the pieces that I wrote, you can find the piece that I wrote on immigration at fee.org, or they can find it in my awesomely awesome book. Live Free or Die, die, which is available at Amazon.freetalklive.com. And I'm sorry, Gardner, we forgot to mention LibertyConspiracy.com tonight as well. No problem, Your website, people can go there. They can get audio of you and your co-conspirators talking about all kinds of things liberty-oriented. Yes, find the podcast at iTunes. Go to LibertyConspiracy.com. Go there, go there, go there. We want to get a lot more people going to Liberty Conspiracy. Absolutely. That's LibertyConspiracy.com. So, um We've got to get to the phones here, 603-435-1105, an extended edition, no FCC, no rules. Uh, we're going to go to the phones, and then, Mark, you want to pick up this email that we started during the show I about yes. immigration, uh, open borders, etc. First, Todd is in Michigan on the Amp Lines. Hello, Todd. Hey, Mark, Ian, and Gerd. What's up, guys? Todd, what's on your mind tonight? Well, uh, did you guys watch the Oscars last night? I don't have television. <laughs> No. Completely missed it. Nothing. I I feel sorry. I'm 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 vacant on this one. Why? Um, well, it turns out that Avatar did not win Best Picture. Oh, really? And James Cameron did not win Best Director. That went to his ex-wife, The Hurt Locker, and Catherine Bigelow, who's the director of The Hurt Locker. I didn't see The Hurt Locker, so, but I I, suge- I I would imagine that's a bad choice because I really think that uh, personally, I believe Avatar is the movie that's gonna, um, you know, be the pivot point for saving Hollywood. Well, Hurt Catherine Locker, Bigelow is a fine director. Yeah, I'd, I haven't seen uh, it. She she directed Strange Days. Uh, Near Dark, some a handful of good movies. Sure, in the 80s but you and can 90s. watch that crap. Um, uh, you know when it comes to DVD. But but guys, look, who's more attractive? Okay, Catherine that's, Bigelow. There you go. Okay, okay. that's I right, down. Todd. That's, I don't know who she is. She's uh, James Cameron's ex-wife. Actually, that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so, well, the, well, the interesting thing was that. Have you seen the Hurt Locker uh, though, Todd? Before you go on, have you have you seen it? 
I haven't seen it, but I heard a lot of negative uh, feedback from a lot of uh, Iraqi veterans, particularly like Paul Rykoff, uh, a well-known um, um, Iraq veteran uh, who's a member of one organization I know. What kind uh, of negative well feedback? Known. Because I've heard two things about it. I've heard one, on one hand, from the liberty side, uh, the liberty-oriented people, that, that it worships the state and the military. On the other hand, I've heard military people complaining that it doesn't do them justice and that it makes them look bad. Yeah, it is. It's also very pro-war and... Well, unlike Avatar, which is supposed to be have this anti-war theme, very pro-liberty theme, but you know, it, it really, it really uh, points out to a very interesting theory I've had for a long time. The Academy Awards has been overtly political behind the scenes for years and years. Um, the problem I have is, you know, I, I wouldn't have that problem if Catherine Bigelow winning the award. Had she won so because of the merit of her work, uh, if she had done it because it was a great film, great script, great cast, uh, great direction, you name it, that would have been one thing. But for her to win it because, well, she happens to be, you know, um, the ex-wife of James Cameron or because she's a woman or because, you know, she politicked. Um, which is exactly what she did. She sent a, a copy of the script to the Academy uh, Guild members, and she basically lobbied to get that role, um, to get that award, just like Jeff Bridges lobbied to get his actor in a leading role um, award last night. Um, you know, and that's been in the, in the papers as well. So that's, it, it, it's all about politics and not well, of course, so much it's Hollywood. about... Of course it yeah, is. Well, anytime that you but have... it's not so much about the great performance... And it's just, it's right, just it's about who's, roots. you know, it's, it's about sure. who you pleasure and uh, any, who you time, back you scratch and all anytime that. Anytime you have a situation where an important award is given out, people are going to try very, very hard to get it. And that's just the way it, it goes. I mean, that's that's the nature of things where, you know, democracy, even if it's uh, just voting on, you know, what's most popular. It's a popularity well, contest and it's an important that, one. That's, that's, that, that's absolutely correct. And what's interesting is that they did change the best picture voting quite a bit because they had 10 pictures. I remember at the end of the award show, um, Tom Hanks came out and rather than just reading through the list, they only had like maybe several minutes left just to give, you know, a few people some speeches. Uh, he just whipped out the envelope and says, okay, Hurt Locker wins. He didn't go through the entire award. Hmm. Then they had, and then here's another objection I had about the Academy Awards. They had a, 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 a moving uh, montage of actors who had died in years past. Not a single photo of Farrah Fawcett on, on she there. She didn't die? She was, uh, yeah. yeah, she, she did? did. Yeah, she died last wow, year. They didn't have her on there. And they gave seven minutes to John um, Hughes, the film director, and they mm-hmm. had some of the cast. That was probably the only mildly good thing. They had some of the cast on there, but they didn't look very comfortable. They didn't look very happy on being the stage. And I'm thinking seven minutes. I mean, why seven minutes? Well, aren't these <laughs> award ceremonies typically just drawn out and very lengthy? In fact, oh, don't they typically yeah. go so long that they're so not even able to televise the entire thing that yeah. it just 
there are so many categories that, that not all of them even make it on Disney television. Disney dropped the fir- first 15 minutes of, uh, of the Academy. And it's, it's just, yeah, that's exactly right. They do the same thing with the Grammys now. Like the dance stuff, they don't even put that on TV anymore. When Lady Gaga got her and award dropped, for Best Electronic. Yeah, they dropped the music stuff, like the Best Performing Songs or something, and they dropped that this year. It's, just, well, it's yeah. something I've never paid attention to, and I just, I just find myself... Not giving a damn. It I seems mean, so self-indulgent. It seems like there's a fine line between yeah, the self-indulgence of Hollywood and incentivizing good work with this award. I think the monetary compensation is the primary incentive, but there is this yeah, egomania among right. these guys. Well, I mean, James Cameron certainly uh, did better than Catherine Bigelow as far as box office I was returns. Hoping, yeah, I was hoping he would get the award simply because I felt that he deserved it. But, you know, I kind of figured he wasn't going to win. He already got Titanic. You know. He can have the, the millions. And, and she was going to win, so, you he, know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't that surprised. Todd, he can have the uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars that he makes from Avatar, and that'll probably make him sleep a little better. He can buy his own trophies then at that point. Hey, yeah. Todd, thanks for the call tonight. I appreciate hearing from you. Uh, 603-435-1105. Hey, look, I, 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 got a, I bought a couple of Russian ladies that look exactly <laughs> like you. <laughs> you <laughs> mean Catherine Bigelow? Yeah. Oh, Keep that Oscar. All right, so we continue. I, I understand that actually uh, James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow are still good friends. I just don't know much about it. I, I, yep. I listen to NPR. If they talk about these things, I hear it. Eh, that's it. Yeah, I, really, I don't care. Who cares who won their little trophy? Uh, like, does anybody pay attention to who wins the Freedom of Speech Award at Talkers Magazine's uh, annual convention? I mean, that's a pr- supposedly uh, one of the more prestigious, prestigious awards yeah. in our industry. But nobody pays attention to that. You don't see any news reports on that. So I guess we just don't yeah. have the glamour. Aspect. Well, I think the Marconi Award is probably a bigger one um, than the uh, the Freedom of Speech Award. But okay. the Freedom of Speech Award is big. I'm far more interested in the uh, the, the heavy hundred list uh, than I am the Freedom of Speech Award. All right, we continue. Uh, 603-435-1105, another call on the amp lines. Hello there. Hi, it's uh, John from Illinois. John, what's on your um, mind tonight? Well, I was, uh, so I kind of wanted to talk about the conspiracy theory folks. Um, okay, sure. You know what I mean? Because I, it seems like they call the show quite a bit, and it's kind of like, and I, I pretty much agree with you guys. Kind of to see both sides, I do occasionally watch those Alex Jones movies, and it's just kind of, he weaves such an intricate, you know, web with, oh, well, here's what all these people are doing, which I agree with. Like, you know, you watch uh, Fall of the Republic, his most recent movie, and it goes into all the police state and, you know, economic controls that they're working on implementing. But then he says, oh, but they're doing this because they have some kind of satanic cultist agenda. And I'm thinking, you know, you got to go with the uh, kind of the, what do you call it, Occam's Razor, the simplest explanation is probably the best, which is these guys want money, power, and, uh, you know, uh, influence and want to control the people's lives. And it yeah. just, uh, it always kind of bothers me when those guys call in and they're like, oh, chemtrails. Right. Yeah, it's not else, enough so. to say that uh, the government is evil and doing these terrible things, but you also have to bring in the Masonic conspiracies and uh, how the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the various different buildings in Washington or monuments in Washington are ordered in a certain Masonic triangle or pentagram or something like that. There's just, they, they go off the deep end with it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I mean, it w- makes for fantastic fiction, but it's not, you know, it's not, um, doesn't need to, you know, it's not real in it. I Maybe it why. is real. Maybe you know, it's, it's like not a, fiction. Maybe it is real, but it's just that trying to. Oh, I mean, maybe there is something to the idea that the Masons are a secretive uh, group who uh, who b- built 
different things in certain Truth ways. Truth is often stranger than fiction. And, and I'm I've sure... seen the insides of the Mason uh, Temple here in Keene, and it yeah. is spooky. It is a very weird place. I was so maybe there is... Maybe there is truth to it, but using that as uh, as something to uh, try to reach out to people with or to persuade people that that uh, that the government is is bad, I think is is a mistake. I think it's uh, it's folly. And I think I think you look at it and they'll say, well, th- those actors in the government were bad. That's the way so many people would react. Well, those guys were the bad guys, and now we'll use the government that's out there now to take care of those bad guys that were in the government before. I understand that the the desire of people too. I mean, three thousand plus people died on that day in 9-11 so there is a a thirst for justice and if someone was involved with this you want to get these guys but to me it's so ambiguous and the information is essentially controlled by the very people that you are trying to go after essentially or the people who hold the offices that were created by them or whatever this is just not going to get you anywhere And, and again even if you were to find out how many people would be convinced that it's not those actors in government that you need to solely concentrate on, but government itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and especially with something like September 11th, like we've already had situations where, and I mean, I, I think, yeah, you guys mentioned the Gulf of Tonkin incident, no one, but I mean, hell, we had the, uh, what was it called, the business plot back in the 30s where, uh, you know, Prescott Bush and, you know, some wealthy industrialists tried to, actually do a military junta against FDR, you know, yeah. it's like, that's, you know, that's and General Smedley Butler, uh, you know, blew the whistle on that one, and it's, you know, it's not, you know, relevant, no one, it's not even in history, you know, most, you know, college or high school history books, so it's like, even if people did know that it was an inside job, I don't think it would change much, well, and I don't think... It should change people's approach to government at all. One of, one of the things that I think it does serve, though, one of the purposes it does serve is it helps you if you're in an argument against people who worship a particular particular figure, like FDR. I am thoroughly convinced that FDR knew exactly what, what he was doing uh, regarding Pearl Harbor and the Japanese attack and uh, the embargo that they laid down against the Chinese, against the Japanese in the, in the, Sino-Jap- in the Sino-Japanese War. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, very clearly things that have been revealed show me that this guy was an evil, evil person. He was a bad, bad guy. And he had uh, particular you know, reasons for getting these things out. Now, I happen to think policy-wise... Uh, I remember all the people that worship this guy's policies. And if you can show that this man on his personal level was a deceptive, un- uncouth person and and then show that lives were lost because of it, then sometimes you can shake people out of their iconic worship of these guys, you know? So, uh, for example, Abraham Lincoln, you can you can show certain things about Abraham Lincoln to surprise people, you know, things about the Emancipation Proclamation or or his personal life and how he was sort of uh, semi corrupt in in what he did in Congress and made a ton of money off of policies that he he funneled towards his own his own uh, land ownership in Illinois. I put on the S on purpose. So, you know, these types of things, these types of things, I think, serve a purpose that allows you to get a little wedge in to say, hey, as long as you don't go over the top. But say, those are things you know, that you can just point to history and you can say, well, here's what Lincoln said. Here's the evidence. Right. Whereas right. you as opposed to speculating about, well, there was bombs in that building because somebody said they heard bombs exploding. I mean, there's all kinds of stories around. Yeah, But see, there's a fine line of thinking. I don't know how you feel about it, but there seems to be a fine line between 
trying to investigate those conspiracies, those conspiracy theories, and being able to use the information you get out of the investigation. So, for example, some people might say, well, you guys, you know, it will be worthwhile because then we can show that to some of the conservatives out there that George Bush or neoconservatives, that George Bush was a bad guy because he knew or, or so-and-so was a bad guy or whatever. Um, so, so – well, and if George Bush actually comes out and writes a diary where he says, you know, his deathbed diary where he says it's true, well, 9/11 I, truth, they've been right the whole time. How much? Then how much, you've got something that you can point God, to. God, I to can't say, wait for that crap. Then you've got then you've got something that you can point to, like you can with whatever Lincoln wrote and all exactly. that. It's yeah. not something that, uh, like, what the, the, Abraham Lincoln. People have this view of him because of what they teach in government schools, yeah. which of course isn't the true uh, the truth necessarily. That you can find the truth easily access accessible because it's come out in history over time. And maybe the so-called truth about 9-11, whatever that is, will come out over time in history. But by that time, it'll be just like JFK. It's like, oh, okay, so yeah, the CIA did kill JFK, but where's all the uh, the hubbub about it? Where is the uh, the overthrow of the government? I mean, where is the, the distrust? It's just, if you, want to, if you want people to know that the government is doing things that are wrong, the government is hurting people, that the government is not out there to help you, there are so many better ways to do it than uh, pre- presenting speculation, which is really what most of uh, the conspiracy theories are, or at least the 9-11s and the chemtrails and all that other stuff. Any other thoughts, Carl? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I totally agree. And actually, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you can show that the person's a bad guy, but that doesn't, you know, it only gets you so far unless you properly point the blame at the policy. I mean, look at, uh, you know, look at someone like... Uh, Harry Truman, you know, the Japanese offered to surrender to uh, the United States, but the one thing they wanted to do was say, okay, well, we're not going to unseat your emperor, which is, you know, definitely a figurehead position. And they're like, oh, no, we need total total victory. And they kind of put it as a, oh, well, dropping this nuclear bomb saved, you know, so many American lives. It's like, well, actually, they had already unconditionally surrendered. But they they had one religious figure they wanted to have in. You know, and and we said no, that's not good enough. We need to we need to do this to these innocent people. You Caller, know? what's uh, what's just, your name? I'm sorry, my okay. name is John. John, um, you know, I have looked for this, and the best I can come up with that they made that overture to the Russians, and the Russians didn't get that information successfully. I mean, it's 1945, right? Like communication isn't mm-hmm. as good as it is now. And the best I can come up with is, and, and I'm not doubting your the story. I'm just trying to figure it out. Because I want to be able to say that on national radio, but boy, oh boy, when you're sitting in my seat and you say say something like that, you're going to get a lot of emails from a lot of amateur historians out there, and you be able, better be able to back your stuff up. So if you can find that, please, please send me whatever information, however you got that information. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I had a person who told me about it the the other day, so I'll have to kind of go yeah. back down the please, line. So please feel free to research that and get me your information. It's marketfreetalklive.com. John, thanks for the call tonight. We appreciate hearing from you. Uh, continuing here, who's this? You're on Free Talk Live. Greetings from Concord, New Hampshire. It's who? You, your name cut out there. Andrew. Andrew. Hey. Yeah. Hey, by the way, the number here is 603-435-1105. Andrew, what's on your mind tonight? Um, you guys were talking the other week about um, property and um, uh, exchanging it over to other people um, and agreements and kind of... Uh, how that would work and, uh, you know, if someone died and then 100 years down the line, whether or not someone would follow that, you know, um, deed restrictions, or, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to share a, a funny and amusing story about uh, 
uh, the University of New Hampshire where I work on an agreement that they had to um, uh, live up to in order to get Kingman Farm, which is a huge tract of land and uh, property in the town of Madbury uh, nearby the Durham, in that <clears throat> there was agreement in the woman's will. She willed her property to the university for educational purposes uh, for it to be used as a farm. I don't know all the specifics. But one of the, deal, uh, one of the deals that she put in there was if she died before her cat died, the cat had to live its natural life out on the property. And this, I think this was about 20 years ago. And the university was very concerned that the cat would get out and die uh, because the property is right by a major thoroughfare going to uh, Dover. Mm-hmm. That, that someone, you know, someone from the university would go out with the cat out and would die on the highway, thereby jeopardizing the ability for the university to keep to keep the land because the cat didn't live out its natural life on, on the property. Well, so the suggestion being that if it got hit by a car, it would no longer be living a natural life because it had died of an unnatural cause. And, and, and at the hands of someone from the university. I mean, if the cat just died on its own property, then that's great. But, you know, if someone from the university caused the cat to die. So the university was very concerned about this. And, you know, through the university, they told maintenance and all the people who would be going on the property, be very, you know, be very careful not to let the cat out because it has to live out its natural life, you know, within, you know, within the farmhouse. I guess it was confined inside the house and it wasn't supposed to go out. So, I mean, that, that kind of shows. And I don't know what the deal was with people um, um, who, you know, if she had any heirs or someone else who wanted to place a claim to the property, but it, it shows you that the closer you are to the actual act of, you know, giving away property, uh, the more likely it is that someone's actually going to uh, adhere to that agreement, whereas the university, you know, they didn't ask for the property. It was willed to them, but they made sure that, you know, they kept their end of the bargain. Oh, good on them. Hmm. Thanks for sharing the story. Anything else, Andrew? Um, no, that's it. All right, man. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. All right, Mark, let's jump into uh, your email here from the guy who's concerned about uh, open borders. All right. Um, and, uh, oh, shoot. I seem to have uh, pulled it down. Stall for a second. Okay. Well, earlier in the show, uh, we had an, a, the, the beginnings of an email where a gentleman suggested that there could be a, po- a problem with uh, immigrants coming here and slaughtering people like the uh, the white people slaughtered uh, the American Indians way back in the day. Now, he didn't use those terms. He didn't use the word slaughter or anything like that. But to me, that's what he was suggesting. And uh, my response to that was it's pretty ludicrous. Uh, there was obviously a technological disparity between the white people and the, the Native Americans. You didn't mention the te- technological disparity I did. Right. Right. Uh, and so then there was also uh, – did you want me to keep stalling, Mark? I've got it. Okay. So, yeah, basically pointed out that in a true free market that protection services would do a far better job of protecting against the invading Canadian hordes uh, than would the government. And so let's go on. Another example that throws a wrench in the open borders ideology is China. China is the longest standing prosperous empire that uh, produced art, science, and medicine. Gunpowder. Uh, Second Amendment advocates can thank uh, someone in China for that. Agriculture and religion. This, uh, uh, by the way, I'd like to step down for a second. The idea that China is somehow the same empire that it was previously. Come on, we had the Mao Dynasty. Now you've got something that's changing. Now mm-hmm. China's government isn't by you know the longest standing anything. It's 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 changed and morphed over time. Sure, um, it's just a land mass. Uh, yes, that land mass has been called China for a long time. 
It was also thought to be the place that the first known working uh, mechanism clock uh, was invented. It was a giant clock that stood in the town square until the barbarians invaded and destroyed the clock. Another moving mechanism clock was not reinvented until 500 years later, all because outsiders wanted to show up and make the Chinese empire their home. What would have been... uh, what would have been of the free uh, free nation of Native Americans and its free people had they turned the Europeans around and sent them back home? I don't know how they could have, but maybe you know I mean, if they would have slaughtered. I think that they didn't didn't they wasn't it Charlestown the Virginia settlement the there original were, one there that, where they couple, got killed? There were a couple places. Uh, there was Wollstenholme Town and uh, in Virginia, and then there was um, the island uh, where they left the sign Croatoan, where they went back and everyone had been. They were gone. There weren't even any bodies left. Yeah. Everyone Who's they? Taken. Are we talking about the colonists? The settlers, colonists, yeah. and they someone left a sign, Croatone, on a cross, uh, quickly etched what out. What is that? Uh, it, was the, it was the name of the uh, Indian tribe that was back on the mainland of, uh, in Virginia, I believe it was. Okay. Yeah. So how much more wealth of knowledge would the world have had if China, if the Chinese could have blocked the invasion of the barbarians, interrupting their advances for 500 years? I don't know that how that exactly um, corresponds to uh, immigration, but that's that's more of an invasion. But in closing, the so, well to ask a question about how things would have happened had something not happened is uh, impossible speculation. I mean, how would uh, my life be if I decided not to get into radio? I mean, it would be completely different. So I have no idea how to answer that. Right. And uh, I think w- the best we can do is address the different circumstances. I think that uh, now Gardner didn't um, you know, there there have to be examples where, yeah. um, you know, immigration uh, t- to countries was beneficial. Right. I mean, I, I admittedly, the Indians don't have the same uh, situation that they previously did. But, you know, I mean, well, peaceful immigration, I think, has been very successful. I mean, this country is the perfect example of it. Yeah, I think you've got you've got three things you're looking at here. Well, one thing is Hong Kong. Uh, straight straight immigration. And in a, in a well, first, you've got the, the question that really seems to be at hand here, although he's phrasing it in a different way, is uh, you've got a question of invasion invasion first against a state which is china essentially a group of group of states under you know different emperors and so on uh, and those happened all the time you can't yeah, happen, uh, there's invasions nothing that anyone can do about and i'm right. sure that i'm Especially, sure that there's the examples are rife in history where techno- technological advances were made and those technological advances were lost through the use of uh, force through other governmental bodies yeah. so, i mean that, that that to me is a is a red herring there. right I mean, so with the china thing i think you you're talking about state Invasion versus you got you got Mongols invading the Chinese state essentially, which right. was a patchwork of things. But it's communication had a bunch of is global now. Yeah, we don't need to now, talk about inventions being lost right. to the, but, but, the annals of history. But these arguments theoretically are interesting, and and then you've got the question of flat out immigration into a stateless society, and flat out immigration into a stateless society, and that immigration becoming straightforward attack. Which is what essentially what happened in many instances in the United States colonies, in the colonies in North America, I should say. So the, the, we have three different – am I distinguishing those right, Ian? Because that's the thing about this email that I think needs to be addressed. He's mixing a number of different questions, and those questions are all sort of separate mm. 
breakoff points that need to be discussed separately. Okay. You know, because you're not really talking immigration when you're talking about China. You're not really talking straight immigration when you're talking about the colonists the coming into the American Indian situation. You're talking immigration at first, but then you're talking full-blown invasion, invasion and battles and wars supported by states in Europe. Yeah, so, and, and I think uh, more importantly, I think the, the biggest – to me, the, the biggest issue is technological differences. There isn't a technologically more advanced society here on Earth. Right, that but if is, the um, aliens come down with the laser ray guns, right, then – We're all effed. Screw it. Yeah. They don't care anything about our notions of freedom, and we can't stop them. Right. That's the point that I'm trying to make on the Indians is that if the Indians had wanted to turn the colonists around, could they have done it? I don't think they could have. If they they maybe could have wiped out a few more people that landed, admittedly, but um, you know the, the fact is they were just primitive people that were coming along the most, uh, you know, coming up against the most advanced people technologically of their time. And the fact is, every single time, primitive people fall to the technologically most advanced people. It's sad, but. True. It's Let's, the way it is. You said he's going to wrap up here? Yeah. Um, going on. In closing, our European founding fathers warned us that the that tyranny against freedom is a natural progression of governments. Hence, the natural right of self-defense was expressed in the U.S. Constitution that our right to bear arms shall not be infringed. What were the actions of the victors of the American Revolution directly after the war ended with England and her soldiers? They sent them packing out of our new nation, north to Canada or back to England. Open borders certainly uh, weren't enacted. Stating a uh, free, uh, stating a free people have free borders sounds good, but under scrutiny, I don't think that it's really as simple as that. I don't have an answer yet on the open borders topic. Well, wait a minute. Just because they sent the uh, redcoats packing doesn't mean that there weren't open borders. How could anybody have enforced the borders back then? There was hardly anyone there. Uh, and and just as a historical note, and this is extremely important for anybody who's interested in the history of U.S. immigration, you know I've brought this up before. It was a state issue until 1875 with the uh, ruling in the Chinese Exclusionary Act. It yep. was only how you become a citizen of the United United States, not whether you could be here that was written in the right. Constitution. And once again, he's mixing um, invaders with uh, immigrants, because if you look at the Hessians, many of the Hessians said, you know what? Screw this American Revolution's crap. And they went to live with the Amish in Pennsylvania Dutch territory. So they immigrated. They decided I'm putting down my weapon and I am, you know, going to and I'm going to pick up a shovel or whatever and I'm going to go to work. Right. There would have been that's no- the difference. They began to then uh, provide to the new incipient nation, not even incipient nation at that point, their, uh, the, the value of their labor. And the idea that uh, they kicked the redcoats out, if if you weren't like a, a notorious redcoat, like one of the uh, the leadership, uh, one of the more recognizable redcoats, if you were just one of the grunts and you'd come to realize you were trotting out of uh, the United States up to Canada or whatever, and you'd come to realize, man, I really fucked up. I you know attacked my own mm. own my own people, and yeah. boy, I really blew this one. Uh, I, all right, I'll see y'all later. I'm uh, going AWOL. And then went back into the United, took your red coat off and put just some regular pants and shirt on, went back into the United States. They would have had no idea who you were. Maybe the yeah. accents were different. I don't, I don't know for sure. But um, there were plenty of English soldiers that escaped and went into, went to live in civilian culture. Yeah. It happened all of the time. Right. The difference is people who are um, invading. See, this is where I don't like the the waters muddied. People will call Mexicans invaders. 
and they're not invading. The only uh, the only weapon that they're using, if they use a weapon at all, is if they become citizens and they choose to vote, and then they vote for some particular uh, you know uh, political group or another. And the fact is. Uh, mostly they're voting for Democrats when it comes to Mexicans. And why? It's because Republicans vilify them. They hate them. Yeah. Yeah. Did we finish? Still got a few it, it, more? Just, it, basically. It's, a, it's apparent by reviewing history that without enforced borders, our way of living and hope of achieving freedom in our future could be greatly changed to our detriment. What do you think and what's the solution? It's a great question. And, uh, from uh, Jim here. So, My solution is if you have your own property, you can enforce the borders however you want. And you can work with other people to come up with mutually consented to rules in your society to decide how much you want in and uh, under what circumstances. Right, because private property owners get to set their own rules. I think it would be very interesting to, uh, in the future secession, uh, the the partitioning of America, to have some, you know, state like Utah or whatever. Some state just decide to totally crack down on immigration. We don't want anybody else coming out here to Utah and build, you know, Great Wall of Utah around the state and or Arizona or whatever. And then just see how that goes. See what happens to their economy after they start uh, forcing people to stay out look at from, the, their, uh, from their land. Look at one of the great explosions in intellectual history during the time of the Renaissance uh, going going through for the next number of decades. Um, Holland, the Dutch, if you look at them, they were an oasis for people who fled their countries. I mean, that's where the pilgrims went first. They went they went to Holland. Uh, that's where John Locke eventually went uh, during the 1600s to escape from from the British um, as uh, he was he was in a lot of trouble over the uh, conflict between the Protestants and the Catholics. And also he had been fomenting to try to help the Scottish in their rebellion. And um, very interesting because the Dutch, that that nation state of Holland, when it was open to immigrants, prospered dramatically. Now people are arguing that uh, the Dutch are letting in too many radical Islamic yeah. uh, people. Well, I think that I think the argument can be made if you have a socialist nation, if you have a gigantic apparatus of government, that it is a terrible idea to let more people in sure. that can employ that government in a um, in a, in, right. in, in, a, in an evil or I guess not evil in a contrary fashion to what uh, you know the people that are there. Right. And I think that what you what they have in socialist uh, Europe, and I'm just going to make that broad. So America. I'm just going to make that broad brushstroke. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think that in a lot of ways, um, you know, America's, you know, in, in domestic policy, it's not nearly as socialist. In foreign policy, it, it's certainly more social, socio-fascist. There's plenty of wealth redistribution programs there here, are, Mark, and you know but that they're it attracts not as, people. But they're not as great as, uh, you know, if you were a lazy Muslim, where are you going to go? Europe or America? Well, you can get better programs in Europe, and they're closer. Europe's closer. But they're, yeah. they're better programs, dude. How many it, Mexicans are going to Europe? There, it, it, certainly, Mexico is close to the United right. States. You don't have to get a plane ride, but mostly, I I think I don't I really don't know when it comes to uh, European immigrants, but I suspect that they're getting there somehow. Besides walking, uh, Mexicans can walk if they want and get here. Well, if they don't have, if uh, if a country doesn't, if a uh, government does not have the giveaway programs, then you're going to get the doers, right? You're going to get the people that want to come up, and, and we start are their own getting business. the doers from the Middle East. Right. 
You're going to get the people that want to start their own businesses. You get the entrepreneurs that have been uh, had their entrepreneurial spirit crushed in the country in which they are coming from, which they are coming, and they come here to uh, to try to make a better life for themselves. In fact, then I think the statistics show clearly that immigrants to this country are more likely than Americans to start their own businesses. Oh, They're yeah. more likely to be entrepreneurs, and so uh, clearly most people that are coming here are not the leechers. They are the doers. But the greater you're right, Mark. The greater the welfare programs are the more likely you're going to get the leeches as opposed yeah. to the doers. Yeah. So we're done with the email. Uh, we've got people on hold here. Gard, are you sticking? Yeah, I'll stick for right. one more call. All right, one more. You're on with uh, Gardner Goldsmith from LibertyConspiracy.com, the extended edition of Free Talk Live on the Ampline. Who's this? Hey, guys, this is Matt. From hey, Matt. Oregon. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, I wanted to say that the boat that you were talking about earlier was the main the one in Cuba that got that got sunk. Yeah. That Remember the Spanish man. You're right. Remember the man. And there there are tons of conspiracies going back into time. I mean, you start with uh, with the man. There was Abraham Lincoln, his murder. There was uh, um, that guy in England, Jack the Ripper. There's a conspiracy for you that people don't uh, you know. Mm-hmm. What's the conspiracy he, he about Jack back. the Ripper? That he was protected by the royal family because he was like their doctor yeah. or one of the dukes or something. Hmm. Or even even maybe the son of the queen or something. I've heard a Let's lot. Let's bring of that people. one back. Let's bring the Jack the Ripper one back. Let's try it. Let's have a, uh, a Jack the Ripper conspiracy renaissance a resurgence. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that you can go back into the um, in, into the you know Roman times and the Greek times and find plenty of conspiracies in history. Well, if we can prove that, that Jack the Ripper, if we can prove that Jack the Ripper was working with the or uh, was being protected by the crown, then that'll prove to people that the crown is evil, and then everything oh. will change. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> I, I think that there's plenty of ways to prove that the crown is evil without exactly. that. Exactly. And but but the but the the point is the thing is when you when you start looking at all these conspiracy theories, you can make a good argument that just the fact that they exist shows that government in general is evil. And the older the government gets, the more it tends toward evil. It just it gets larger and more ponderous and more in place. I, I think that, uh, you know, you know, it's essentially government is theft and it is the institution of a uh, violent gang over over its people so it has to be you know government has to be evil mm. but um you know it just gets more uh, legitimate more uh you know structured and more in place and more difficult to get rid of right i i agree with that sentiment any other uh, thoughts matt no that, that was about it hey, thanks um, thanks for the call as always care. I'll, t- I'll hang out for that one more. Oh, you're man. such a I sucker for a for call. I'm seeing the light flashing. I Let's do it. go to whoever this is. Hey, who's this? You're on the Ampline. Hello. Ampline. Are you there? Going once. Say hello. Going twice. There you go. Ah. So with that, I think we are about wrapping up this extended edition of the show. Again, brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program at amp.freetalklive.com. And since Matt has called a couple times tonight, I've actually got a an old version of a call from Matt the Statist. Uh, He called the the Soapbox, which is available for you 24 hours, mostly, oh, well, almost 24 hours a day. It's it's a little voicemail service. You can call up, leave a message. Try not to go too long. You can go no more than three minutes. The shorter you you are, the more likely you're going to get on the air. And not that we've been putting a whole bunch of them on the air. But then again, uh, you know, you never know what we will do. It's a soapbox. And if you get up on a soapbox in real life, you don't know if anyone's going to pay attention to you. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Same thing with our soapbox. If you leave a message, you don't know if anybody's going to get to hear it. Uh, we'll probably hear it. 
uh, in the studio, but as far as getting it on the show, that's, uh, well, if you want to get on the show, the best way to do that is to make a phone call and get on the air with us that way. Emails, they're good, but we don't usually get a chance to read them because if we've got calls, we go to the phone call. So, uh, Gardner, thank you for coming in here on thank the show you. tonight. Thank you both. Yeah, great thanks, Gardner. It's always nice it. to have you. you Visit Gard online at libertyconspiracy.com, and we'll uh, take you out here with Matt the Statist. Hi, this is Matt the Statist. And I'm calling about a couple of stories I've heard over the last few days, just to give my two cents worth. Now, the first story comes out of Michigan about a woman who has been threatened with arrest because she's taking care of some neighbor's kids uh, for an hour in the mornings before they get picked up by the school bus. And I want to say, who does this woman think she is? Why should this woman be allowed to help out her neighbor without the state's permission? Doesn't she realize that things can happen to these children while she's watching them, and she needs to be licensed by the states to make sure that, that these kind of things don't happen? I mean, what happens if they're attacked by tigers? You never know. Maybe a tiger escapes from a zoo nearby, and these children are attacked. Who is going to be responsible if she's not licensed? She needs to be trained to make sure she knows how to take care of escaped tigers from the zoo when she's with her children. Uh, this is terrible. These things cannot be allowed to go on. The state must have control of everything. I mean, they need to have control. They need to be able to tell you when and you can and can't go to the bathroom. I mean, because that's just how it needs to be. You have to have the state making sure that things are working. You can't be doing favors for your neighbors and, and trying to help each other out? That's just an elite chaos. And, and, and the second is, is a woman was, was riding her bike in New Jersey, was riding her, her bike with her child to school every morning. And, and she was met with the state police, my understanding, she was met by the state police and told that it was illegal for her to ride her bike or walk with, with for the, her children to ride their bikes or walk to school in the morning. And, and she decided to fight this. Can you imagine? She thinks she knows better than her children, than the almighty school board? Who does this person think she is? She thinks she knows what's best for her kids? Come on, the state knows what's best for your children. Everybody knows that. Without the state telling you what's best for your children, why... There's just going to be chaos everywhere. There'll, there'll be anarchy in the streets. We'll be firebombed. We'll all go up in flames, and the world will come to an end. My God, people think they know best for themselves? Who do these people think they are? This is terrible. It must be stopped. You must have the state in control. And these two stories show exactly why this must happen. In every aspect of your life, from the top down, the state has to be in control. If not, why, we might as well just live in the forest and, and eat nuts and berries because everything's going to fall apart. The following edition of the Edgington Post interview series is brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier today for as little as 3 bucks a month. Get perks and help us get on more radio stations and more internet connections at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. And here's Mark. So it's it's another edition of the Edgington Post, and uh, with me today we have an, an old standby, Jim Babka, and I, I, you know, Jim, you and I were talking on the phone the other day, um, and you were going through sort of the victories that Downsize DC has had and the Liberty Movement in general has had over the last, 
year, and I, you know, I, I got tired of listening to all the victories, and I figured, you know, it'd be far better if you told these to the, the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, first of all, let me congratulate you on a victory. Since I was last on, you did not have a name for this segment. The Edgington Post, I now see, is, is the... Uh, is the name so congratulations that on that thank you <laughs> well we've got uh, you know we we listed uh, there were like nine of them so i won't go through all nine i'll cut the list a little bit but uh but these are all things that have already happened this year that downsized dc has played uh, a role in some of those roles have been very significant i mentioned the fact that we were uh that i had gone to various tea parties i had <clears throat> seen pictures of tea parties on the web uh, and, and even have a postcard on my desk that came from a conservative organization and their fundraising piece. And in every one of these cases, we would see signs that say, Congress, read the bills. Yeah. And that whole read the bill movement, that started with DC.org. I mean, there were other people talking about it before us, but <clears throat> we have been pushing and beating this drum for several years, and we have gone to Washington, and we know actually the genesis of the explosion of this idea, and we know that it began with us and a presentation we made to a group of conservatives, uh, and we were able to do that because of the support of D.C. downsizers, and I can tell you lots of people on Capitol Hill know about the Read the Bills Act. So, you know, the fact that this is being discussed everywhere, every day, it seems, is, is uh, a validation or proof of concept for us that we're very excited about. Uh, another thing, Congressman Ron Paul introduced a bill that DownsizedDC.org alone, uh, D.C. downsizers pushed for. It was called the Free Competition and Currency Act. It's designed to create legal alternative, make gold and silver be able to compete on an even ground with uh, Federal Reserve notes, which have specialized legal tender status. And uh, this is a, a part of our attempt to, you know, unwind the power of the Federal Reserve. It's a very, very important step. D.C. downsizers asked for this bill. Congressman Ron Paul gave it to him. We, our, our Downsized D.C. Foundation, our sister organization, participated in the writing of a brief with some old allies of ours, the Citizens United. They worked with us in the campaign finance wars in the early part of the previous decade, and now uh, we come full circle, and we had a very stunning pro-First Amendment, pro-free speech, pro-free press, pro-freedom of association uh, decision. It could have been better. There are things that I would have liked to have seen that would have improved the decision, but we're very excited by the result, which we think will continue to pave the way towards uh, challengers being able to be more competitive in their races. We filed an amicus brief in that case. Another deadline came and went for the Real ID Act. Thank goodness. That national identity scheme is still un- unimplemented. Most of the credit for this victory goes to state-level activists, but we fought this bill before it got passed, and when, <clears throat> when it was passed, we were the very first national organization to come out and say, you know what, we're going to do something different this time. Rather than just move on to the next fight, we're going to start a campaign immediately to repeal this bill. And we're going to be announcing here within the next, I hope, I'm waiting, it should come any day now, a congressman has agreed to uh, sponsor a full repeal the Real ID Act bill. Oh, wow. This is the first time of its, con- of its kind. And your own DownsizedDC.org helped write the bill. Huh. That's uh, pretty impressive, Jim. Yes. And then we've got a jobs bill that died because it violated the one subject at a time principle. I mean, Harry Reid actually said there are too many subjects in this bill. The people don't want us to do this. The jobs bill died. And after years of resistance, we've also been able to, uh, uh, D.C. Democrats has played a major role in, in uh, overturning the National Animal Identification System. We literally called it the literal mark of the beast. Uh, but this, was a, uh, <laughs> That's funny. this is one of these big farm, corporate farm uh, welfare bills uh, designed to push out kind of the smaller farmers, make it very difficult for people who maybe just were keeping a couple of animals 
uh, on their property, and uh, we were able to uh, defeat this. Now, there's still other battles to fight at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, but this is now a defunded and dead program. That's and great. The downsizers played a role in it. You know, I every time this thing came up, you got me on somehow or another. I got excited about this particular bill, having no animals really of my own of any consequence. I don't think they're coming after my chickens today, at least. <laughs> and um, you know, somehow or another, I got excited about this bill. And every time you'd send it around, I'd make sure that I got that one sent out. You know, and I'm I'm very very glad that uh, the the mark of the beast bill got uh, killed. So there you go. There's there's just six quick victories there for you. Things that DC downsizers did. Our organization just moving forward, and I'm very, very excited about this stuff. Well, you know, you have every reason to be. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that things are working for Downsize DC <laughs> in such a uh, in a town where things are so difficult to make things work. And it is, and and you know, it, we may have a glut here for a while before we see a whole bunch of new victories coming up. Uh, you know, we a lot of these things were stuff. You know, like you take just example of the National Animal Identification. We started working on that issue back in 2006. Yeah, And so, you know, in order to get the victory, we really had to stay in the game for a long time on this issue, and, and some issues are going to be this way. We re- introduced the Read the Bills Act in 2005, and it's come alive here, and it came alive during 2009. So, you know, it takes time to get some of these things to happen. But I'm, as I said, I'm very pleased. I'm excited. We have, a, we have a plan that is beginning to work, and we've only just begun. We are barely scratching the surface. Our organization has a budget of around $200,000 a year. Can you imagine if that budget was a million dollars or $2 million or $10 million, what we could accomplish? I, I would hope a lot more. <laughs> uh, I, I believe firmly a whole lot more. You know, there's a lot of organizations that have those kind of budgets, and they don't accomplish near as much as you guys have. <laughs> so so the evidence does, isn't really uh, for you in that particular arena. Maybe we should cut your budget, see what you manage no, to. No, 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 no. We just really, we know what to do. You know, we, uh, that's a good point you bring up. And it, and it is the more money that you have, you tend not to be very you know efficient with it. But we have we have done so much with so little for so long that I'm convinced we could do so much with so much more. And and I really do believe, though, we to be serious, Mark, we can target this money very well. There's things that we want to do to begin to market our ideas, and and to reach out to broader audiences and to and and uh, you know right now we've got kind of the faithful uh, working with us, but we really want to start to expand that size and reach out. And as we do this, uh, I believe we can uh, we can actually impact the debate. We can actually change the terms of debate. In the in, like we did here with Read the Bills, a lot of these other things were you know our responses to things that were already happening. But Read the Bills was an example of us beginning to set the tone of debate. So much so that Congressman John Boehner, who is the minority leader in the House of Representatives, and he wants to be the speaker after this fall's elections, he is promising that they're going to have a 72-hour post the bills online uh, rule that they're going to follow for all of their legislation uh, if the Republicans are put in charge. Uh, that was a, uh, Nobody would have thought to do that. That would not have been a number one, put that on the top of my agenda item for either party. Right. We have changed the environment. We have made a difference. Yeah, I think you, I absolutely think you have. And I'd like to point another th- thing out about your victories is um, generally in, in this political arena, or at least the victories I'm hearing about, they're coming in a quiet fashion. The Read the Bills Act, it died a quiet death. I didn't know the uh, the, the date came and went on uh, um, on the, the Real ID issue. And the same with the uh, the Mark of the Beast uh, uh, bill there, I, or the law there. I, you know, that, that it came and went, too, without much fanfare. So um, these things they, these things die quietly. They don't die, um, die to loud applause. 
And you're um, right. And it brings up an important issue. You know, we tend to be very, very motivated by those things that we feel are a threat. Uh, a lot of people who are of similar thought to you and I, Mark, politically, uh, are more reactionary than they are proactive. And yes. they're more responding to fear and urgency than they are looking to try to build a better future, at least when it comes to how they play in the political arena. And I would encourage people that if that we need to overcome a little bit our human nature, our fight or flight mechanism, you know, instead of waiting until we're actually under threat and always being negative and moving on to the next thing and opposing it, trying to become for something, uh, beginning to set up positive things that we believe can change things. I believe the Read the Bills is an example of that. I think there's things that can be done in the healthcare arena on that. I mean, we need to be just as active, just as engaged, if that's possible, just as up and excited about the positive things that we're capable of accomplishing and able to stop for a moment and celebrate good news. I, I you know, I think that that would give us a lot. Um, you know, I think that that would uh, head a lot of things off at the pass. Yep. So let's talk about the reactionary stuff. <laughs> There's some stuff that uh, that's really on people's minds right now, and I think that uh, healthcare is probably top of the list, and uh, second on that list is probably um, a cap and trade or, or you know some kind of environmental legislation uh, lurking around the corner, those kind of things. What, well, uh, even, what, what even about? on this, even on the cap and trade front, we we were able to report a minor victory, and now we didn't play a, a, a much of a role in this at all, but. Uh, the EPA was looking at, at, at imposing on its own, without any congressional uh, direction, uh, a, a rule regarding CO2 emissions this year. They've now backed off that. They are going to put that off for at least 12 months, uh, which buys us more time to oppose this. And the, the, we have seen the tide turn. Uh, cap and trade would have become law if Obama would have been able to stick to his schedule, Mark. And why couldn't he stick to his schedule? He couldn't stick to his schedule because he couldn't get the health care bill done, and that was the top of his agenda. Yeah. And uh, that bill was supposed to be done before Congress returned, went home for the August recess last year. It wasn't done. It's still not done, and we continue to fight it. And, uh, you know, I think this is really another exciting time. I mean, the, I'm, I was not a big fan of Scott Brown's election by any means, but we know in exit polls that lots of people said the health care issue was what motivated them to show up and vote. Uh, for him, they don't want this health care bill. Right. And we know that this uh, dog and pony show that, that they put on where Obama, just over a week ago, where Obama met with congressional leaders and he was going to try to paint the Republicans as the party of no for opposing his, his grand plans. He did his best. Uh, we know that yeah, it backfired. It didn't work. And so uh, right now, we don't know where there's going to be mandates. We don't know where there's going to be a public option. We don't know where there's going to be co ops. We don't know where there's going to be a death, death panels and these things. So many of the provisions of the bill that were in last year are in jeopardy. They're in question, and they can't seem to get the job done. And now they're going to resort to tactics. They're going to take a process that was designed for, to make it easier for Congress to reduce deficits, and they're going to attempt to use it for only the second time out of 23 times it's been used to actually expand or create a government program. Mm. And, and, and so this, this, is, <laughs> this is bad news for them. Because they are reaching so hard and expending so much political capital, they are hurting themselves. This debate goes on longer and longer, and the public gets more and more upset that this debate is still occurring. We are, I think, winning this issue. 
But there's some things I think you want to talk about that maybe we could do proactively here, maybe some issues we should start thinking about for the future. Well, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I find difficult, um, and we've got about five more minutes, Jim. One of the things that I find difficult is people will say, well, what's your answer to the health care thing? You know, what do you hope to do about it or whatever? And and my answer is basically get the government completely out of it and uh, we'll go back, you know, and I'll explain to them the – what I call the impossible option um, and where, you know, government gets completely out and where, uh, you know, rates go down to, you know, uh, that they would be cut in like by a ten- um, nine tenths would be, you know, cut off of the rates because that's all the bureaucracy and stuff that goes into medicine these days. But, you know, I, I don't think that people find it terribly believable because we've lived in an area where the government has controlled health care for Six or seven decades. And, um, you know, medicine is so expensive right now. People don't believe that you can get the government out and make it that much cheaper. Well, let me give you, just since we don't have much time, let me give you three things to hang on your skeleton of an idea there. You say we've got to get the government out. Let me give you three specific ways that we can get the government out in a, in a very proactive way. These are specific policy proposals you can make to people, okay? First of all, DownsizedDC.org took the lead on this issue, too. Republicans were not talking about this issue, but notice they've moved it to the top of their list, and that is the ability to buy insurance across state lines. Right now, if you attempt to buy a policy in the state of New Jersey from Blue Cross for your family, a typical policy is running somewhere in the neighborhood of $24,000 for your family. That very same policy is available in Indiana for $4,500. What accounts for the difference? Well, all 50 states have imposed a list of mandates. Of, and, and the mandates vary in type and so forth. We can right. get into a real technical discussion of this, but these mandates add cost. And some of these mandates are very ridiculous. They could, for example, impose a requirement to buy a rehab if you're a complete teetotaler or uh, pregnancy assistance, uh, fertility treatments if right. you are a man. Okay? And so you have to pay for these mandates regardless if you buy insurance in your state, which right now that's the way it goes, every state. The Commerce Clause was put in the Constitution. The debate of having a Constitution for this country was largely over this issue of 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 being able to trade across state lines. If we remove these artificial barriers, we can reduce this. You could be able. You could go to Indiana to purchase your insurance plan. How many more people would be insured if we could do that? Well, if you think about it, this is how corporations work. I mean, I don't have to to incorporate Free Talk Live if I were to do such a thing. I don't have to incorporate it in New Hampshire or Florida. I can incorporate it in Delaware or New Mexico or Nevada, wherever exactly it right. pleases me. And honestly, I can incorporate it outside the United States, too, if, that, uh, if I thought that that was a benefit, and I don't know what the benefits are. And the Heritage Institute has demonstrated that millions of people, 9 million people, I believe was the number. I don't quote me on that because I don't remember it off the top of my head for sure, would actually be, would move from the uninsured to the insured bracket if this one simple change was made. It's the biggest thing we could do. How come the, the Democrats second- are, are, are vilifying it so much um, right now? They're saying that that's it's just the, the Republicans, that's similar to what the Republican option was. Um, the Republicans aren't making any um, any options of value or something like that, any statements Well, I will forego explaining the last two items to answer that question, because I think this is a very, very important question. We have a long-term unfunded liability problem in this country. Uh, there's Reports have placed the number somewhere between uh, $60 trillion and $100 trillion, if you can even conceive of that, of Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, the long-term lifetime cost to cover everybody that's living today for those programs. And every year the situation gets worse. Uh, the Social Security Administration is right now telling people that uh, in 2016 they will no longer be able, uh, this is what they're telling people, 
they will they will be having less money coming in than they're paying out in benefits. They're going to have a switch over in that, and the system goes bankrupt by 2037. But because of revenues being down this year due to high unemployment, people believe that somewhere in 2010 or 2011 we could cross that first line. And so Social Security is going to be running a deficit. Isn't it 2010 now? Well, it could happen this year or it could happen next year. We wow. don't, I, I, people don't, nobody knows for sure, and it's one of those things we're going to wake up and find out after it happened. Yeah, you're right about but that. They already have projected it to happen in 2016. So with the economic crunch, it could happen sooner. The point is we've got this huge unfunded liability coming down the pike. My daughter's 14 years old, and back during the Clinton administration when she was born, they guesstimated that in order to keep me in benefits, she was going to have to pay a lifetime tax rating that would end up topping 80% of her income. There is no way in the world that her generation is going to agree to keep, to pay someone to change my diapers if it's going to cost them that much. Right. And so we're in trouble. Uh, if you believe, Mark, that you and I, are in, we're in our 40s, going to get our Social Security in, in, uh, at age 67 or even age 70. I don't pay, Jim. Dixie. <laughs> and so why, what, what is the relevance to this? Medicare. Medicare needs to, is, needs to be funded. If they can bring all the young people onto the rolls, if the government can gain control of all of those revenues and kind of drive people in, like through these co-ops or public options, if we can find ways to shove everybody into the system, then they would help cover the costs and it kicks the long-term unfund liability can down the road yeah. probably a few decades. And that's what they're attempting to do. If you, and it, it was so clear because Nancy Pelosi and several other Democrats, the president even, made almost exactly that point. Well, we've got this problem, and we can't forget about these unfunded liabilities. They didn't say those words, but they kept talking about, we've got these long-term issues. They know they need to find a way to keep their social programs going. This is a last desperate attempt to save those things from making the defaults that are inevitable to come. You know, you're right. That's exactly what's going to happen. So, um, Jim, I, you know, you've, you've given your, your rousing speech. Uh, tell people how they can get involved with Downsize DC, and then i got to go, go on and do well, a free talk I hope talk everybody's live. excited about, about coming to Downsize DC. I hope what they've heard today excites them. Our website gives them the ability to send personalized messages, uh, gives them the content for those messages to help them write better messages to their representative and to senators. They're delivered in such a way that those offices know that they're hearing from a constituent, and as you just heard, they are having an impact we're working there for you. It's downsizedc.org. That's downsizedc.org. You know, and I think uh, probably more importantly for our audience is when you see those emails come through in your box, uh, you know, take the take the what two minutes, three minutes that it takes to uh, send those letters to your Congress critters, and uh, you know, copy and paste what Jim's put there and send them off to them. They don't get the same message from everybody because, well, you live in a different district than I do, and they live in a different district. But the more messages they get, the better, and uh, they're effective. And we've shown, at, you know, with the with the six victories here, and, and you actually left three of them out, uh, Jim. Yes, I did. Um, with with uh, these six victories, you know, you know that there's uh, been some success. So please uh, take the opportunity, take the the moment to send those uh you know those emails to your congress critters and i know you're speaking as a as someone you're leading by example as you say that i, I generally that do it jim i mean there, there i can't say that there aren't days when i'm like i have just too much to do i i can't handle it no, and if uh, everybody would just do it once or twice a week it would make a huge difference it oh really, i do that really <laughs> i got once or twice a week down i probably have you know i think that you you send most weekdays i think you send an email and yeah we're, we're averaging them four right now okay four days a week yeah i'd say that i get two or three of them and really it's not enough because as you know congress is up to no good 
12 days a week. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> as often as they possibly can. That's exactly right. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks, Jim. Jim Babka from Downsize DC at DownsizeDC.com and org. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.